it is a strange Thursday night generational change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter, but it's not that strange. No, we used to be Thursday nights, but then we realized that it was way more competition on Thursday nights. But so we're we're back on Thursday night. Oh, absolutely. We've got a lot going on in the world today, don't Uh, we? Oh, I, I'm, I'm like fixated on this UPS uh, not having air conditioners. Yeah, imagine working for a private corporation that decides that, yeah, how much blood can we draw from a stone? Yeah, we just won't let them have air conditioners. You mean like Amazon's, fa- like Amazon distribution centers, they just don't care. They'd rather pay for ambulances to sit outside and cart them away than actually pay for air conditioning. Well, come on, it's pretty cool when you see that the drivers have these, you know, lo- you know you're always wondering like, why are the doors open for the UPS drivers? Well, now okay, we know no, no, why. No, it's even worse than that because then they opened the door to the back area and it was like 145 degrees back there and they have to stand back there and they have to put their hands on steel shelves in 145 degree heat that burns by the way to take the packages out like it's just ridiculous I had no idea. Again, just something else. I just had if no think, idea. If you think that Amazon is bad to work for, just imagine what it's like working for Walmart. So we've got obviously. However, I do believe, from my understanding, the Teamsters are on this situation with UPS and are planning on taking action if they don't get what they want in their next contract negotiation, well, which that- is better be air conditioners. That's what I'm thinking. Well, that's also a big part of why, you know, the labor movement has grown so strong. Uh, Well, I mean, again, it's not where it needs to be, but just the simple prospect of, hey, we're going to stop work unless you treat our workers fairly is becoming a lot more commonplace. So we'll see just how much. I mean, to me, it's usually like, please, sir, can I have some more? You know, like, yeah, we're begging for scraps here. The labor movement is. Yeah. Okay, we're seeing an uprising, but it would be nice if we actually had a labor party. So we're working on that like that. If we had a labor party, I think would be a much better situation for labor if they were actually really represent. And I don't mean uh, tops of unions. They are represented. I'm talking about actual labor being represented. Uh, Union leadership and labor do not necessarily have the same agenda or the same political preferences. So and we know that. So, I, yeah. Speaking of labor, Jen, yes. um, who, who who are the guys that you happen to like oh, no, a lot? You know, you know. When, when it comes to labor, no, who is the like, one? Can't, you can't even suspect because he knows. When Jen ran for Congress, who was the one local union that you wanted the endorsement of that we couldn't of get? Of course. Well, no, firefighters. And let me be clear that I would have gotten firefighters union if it was just them. Unfortunately, we have somebody that blocks at our Broward AFL-CIO level that nobody is willing to challenge. So, um, yeah, I'm hopeful, though. I'm hopeful with a little bit more urging, I'm going to get those firefighters to like take a stand. Well, there is a well, there is a firefighter who's coming on who might be able to help with that potentially. We'll see. You know but how much I he love is also uh, yeah. You, you may know him from a few different things. You know, like Law and Order SVU. Um, I happen to remember him when I was uh, growing up. First movie I saw him in was Stephen King's Thinner, and there's obviously been a lot of other wonderful projects. He's I been don't part see of. scary movies. Oh come on! No, I don't like it. I have enough. I get enough nightmares from real things. I don't need to add extra crap in my brain from that. Well, he is a volunteer in New York City firefighter. So that is that's exciting. He is also a alumni of one of our favorite TV shows, Law and Order SVU, and he is recently in a, a a short film that is getting phenomenal reviews called Triggered. So, without further ado, Robert John Burke, welcome to Generational Change. Hey, how are Hi. you guys? Good. How are you? Very well, thank you. So I really just need to know, like, um, I don't do social media because. They're very mean. And so Peter really does. He's the social media person. And I, like he told me that that you were following. I'm curious, like, 
what was it? Like, what was the area of interest where you thought, oh, I like them. I'm going to follow them. Or did you not even know you were following us? No, it was it was just one little uh, blurb, I think, on Twitter, and and I thought, well, that's progressive. That's there, there, there. You can sense layers of information, common sense, good direction, and I think that was what it was. It was a very benign, you know, it wasn't uh, very specific. Okay, because we do so many, like we cover so many different topics, and. Um, Coincidentally, one of the things we've talked about before is a lot of the issues that firefighters face in terms of their union collective begging agreements. And, and so that's what they call them here is collective begging. So like and the different issues that most people have no idea that their insurance will cover some types of cancer, but not other types of cancer like this ridiculous stuff. I know a lot of that is state stuff. But that is something that we we cover a lot. So I don't know if that's something that you you know you follow or if you, I mean you're probably aware of coworkers that have issues with insurance and and health. Yeah, it's a huge consideration, and the only thing you got to remember is um, um, that insurance companies are corporations. <laughs> that's the formula, and and your interests and your health. And your well-being, and 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 you down the road, six months, a year from now, really are not their bottom line. Their bottom line is their bottom line. Uh, so, you know, there's guys even as we speak sitting in rooms trying to figure out how to skin the, you know, the equation even greater to a greater degree all the time. And um, it's sad. It's sad. Where are you going to find people to to do these occupations, these jobs? if they're not if they're not properly insured yeah so talk about how you ended up um getting um involved in being a firefighter in the first place because I, I i know that wasn't your first career um and where that came from and and it's very it's very admirable to me that you do that as a, i mean it's admirable to me, to me that anyone does it at all but to, especially to do it as a volunteer um let me just this fellow his name, his name was Captain Patrick Brown. He was the captain of Ladder 3 in New York City, FDNY, and he fell on 9-11. He was my best friend. I'm actually sitting in the room that used to be his room. Uh, it's I turned it into a kind of an office. And um, so when Patrick was missing, I went to the side of the World Trade Center with his brother, Michael, and um, searched for him and couldn't find him. And then, you know, after we did find him and um, uh, I moved out of New York City to this to where I am now and, and, and it's volunteer. And I said, why should it be Joe and Jim and George? What, why can't it be me? And then I embarked on what's called Firefighter One. Um, we have a tremendous academy here in Suffolk County. Uh, it took me the full two years to get it all done. Um, and, you know, at 41 years old, I was training with guys who were 20, 21, 22 um, which was, I thought it was fun. I thought it was interesting. It was fascinating. It was like, how did I get here? So I should think that the first time I operated as a firefighter, I didn't even realize, but my fire service is dedicated to the memory of my friend. That's really, that's really awesome. Well, it's um, awesome until it's two o'clock in the morning and you're getting out of bed, you know, well, going on CMS runs and stuff like that. Um, I was going to say the, 41 yeah. to 61 is a big difference too. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> You know, it's an abstraction. I'd like to help. I'd like to do. I'd like to volunteer. It's an abstraction. 
but then it gets pulled down off the wall and it becomes a reality. Do you know what I mean? And so therein lies the, um, the, the, the tale. How is that? It's good. Sometimes when I do acting and like I get a call at three o'clock in the morning for a heart attack victim and then I have to come back home and try and sleep and get up at five and go some, you know, go to an acting job. Someone's not getting their money's worth. Right. Okay. So you're okay. But I would hope that if you're spread thin, that it's not like potentially victims and fires that are getting the shorter end of the stick. Like if certainly not, no, no, no. Even right now I'm monitoring, you know, what's happening. I'm on a modified kind of schedule right now because I tweaked my back at a fire last weekend, actually not at the fire. I worked hard at the fire, but uh, we had a rekindle. It started again, 50 hours later, we were over there working on it. And I, I, I tweaked my back pretty good. So I, I took a couple of days off here. Okay, you realize that's a really badass thing, though, at your age. Like, most people, like, that I know when they tweak their back, it's from, like, sneezing, getting out of bed. <laughs> no, there's, there's plenty of those tweaks, too, believe me, you know. I think it goes without saying that, you know, just what firefighters do, um, as Jen, what do you like to call firefighters? They're, no, it's superheroes. Yeah. That's the closest you get to real life superheroes. And to me, it's, and I always say cops wish they were as cool as firefighters. <laughs> they wish they were as cool as firefighters. Well, I can't. I had a, a New York City police officer who became a firefighter. And he said to me, hey, Bob, you know, you know why I became a firefighter in, instead of a cop? I said, no, Joe, why? He says, because I wanted to help people. Right. I was like, Wait a <laughs> don't, you know, don't policemen help it? You know. But he really just was given over to to just solely helping people as opposed to I don't know what else. But I thought that was always very funny and innocent in a way. Well, they are. They're they're always helping and they're helping without the use of weapons. And there's a very different mentality in the people that do that job versus become police officers. It's a completely different type of person. It's it's really apples and oranges. And and like when we we talked about when the kids were shot in the school in Uvalde, and I'm sitting here thinking firefighters there they would have gone in and it's unbelievable to me that they were all just standing down the hallway with shields very hard um you know uh there's no training i mean there is training per se but um i i couldn't speak to it you know um uh it's 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 a very daunting prospect it's a very horrifying prospect um but um, yeah, I, I really have no comment on, on what those police officers did or did not do really. You know, I just kind of stick in my own lane. Well, yeah. you may be from like, you know, an internal affairs standpoint, you should think about like investigating that. Like, you know, you, 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 you have a sly little switch there. <laughs> I had to, I had to. Look, I, I've been watching that show since day one, like seriously from the inception. I've seen every episode more times than my entire family will tell you. That's all that's yeah, ever they had on. To put, and then they had to go and put them all on eye on television I, I so that you could never have, no. uh, never be. And, and <laughs> everyone knows if my, if my TV is on just, my husband says, oh, is justice being dispensed? in the criminal justice system Um, i was so sad that your character died it was very sad it was like that it was yeah and it's not like my soap where i think oh maybe he'll come back you know like that's (laughs) i wanted to say to marishka recently you know hey start having dreams about me well yeah i mean i can come back and film those um but no, he's uh, Ed is Ed is gone, and um, you know I had my fun. They were tremendously. I can't say enough for them in terms of a professional acting experience mm-hmm. uh, as people. 
you know, yeah. they're, they're amongst the finest people I've ever met, um, to a, to a, you know, the grips, the electrics, the teamsters, the, the, uh, the craft service people. And there, it was real, real family there. Everybody cared about everybody. And it started at the top. Yeah. That's what I've heard. A, like, ev, ev, I don't think anybody that I've ever heard interviewed about working with her has said anything negative. Like everyone has said so many positive things about her. I mean, I just remember thinking she was adorable on ER. Like from yeah. all, is always so come happy. Come on, come on. How about her guest appearance on Seinfeld? Oh, there you go. But no, and I loved that she created this character that even though she is gorgeous and has been forever, it was never about that. I love that she had this female character. And yeah, there was that Benson Stabler tension. But yeah, but but for the most part, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about her personal life in terms of how pretty she was and any of that. Like it was just she just happened to be pretty. And, and I always found that, especially as a female person, that was very cool to see. I literally cannot say enough about her. Um, <laughs> acting with her was a rush. It was, you know, it wasn't about your pool or your car or your this. It was about the scene. It was how can we make it better? 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 And, you know, it's it's a show that runs very um, efficiently. So you're not sitting there going, oh, what would my character? No, my <laughs> character. You're, you're pretty much saying on your market said go. Um, and when they say action, you got to bring the goods. And, um, uh, you know, the, the stakes are quite high in terms of the subject matter, obviously. Uh, people who, you know, particularly heinous crimes. And you want to honor it. You want to honor, and, and, you know, there again with the Joyful Heart Foundation and all the work. I mean, it's unbelievable how many people she's reached and continues to. Uh, the backlog of rape kits. When I found out about rape kits, I'm like, what? You know, the whole prospect of, right. of, of, of the evidence sitting warehoused. I was like, if it was my daughter or my mother or my wife, I mean, I would be just beside myself. And she just continues to shine a light on these issues and push forward, just like Olivia Benson does. You know, yeah, well, it's very organic. Like her in that character, uh, it's, it's very it, organic. Yeah. It is. It's very organic, and she has definitely a lot, like gotten so much out of that in terms of what she does in her personal. And it's really, it's been really cool to watch. Like, and she's, I don't know, and the husband's adorable too. I must. <laughs> I concur. You don't seriously. He's adorable. The yeah. personal commercials are ridiculous, but he is adorable. <laughs> hey, guys, got to guys, got to make. No, I love it, Bob. You brought up a really great point, which is, mm. um, you know, about just being a uh, because a lot of the stories from SVU and just Law and Order in general. You know, Dick Wolf always has a history of like taking from actual New York City crime stories and turning them into, um, you know, recreations and such. But as you mentioned, you know, the whole thing about rape kits, you know, you've mentioned many times being an attorney, um, sort of like this backlogging of so many uh, Jane Doe cases that never get solved or you know, oh, yeah. rape cases in terms of how policing in the country could just be so different. Well, right. Like I always think if we financially incentivized officers closing cases, solving cases, as opposed to arresting and incarcerating, that that would be, a, and you would get a different type of police officer, right? Because the kind of guys that you get in there now, they're seeing this full military gear, like they're wanting to go in there and, and you know, just beat everybody up. And I think if it was more of a detective crime solving situation, and that was where the priority was that you might get a different type of people. 
Gosh, I've never heard that, uh, you know, incentivization of, uh, of uh, closing a, a case. That's I've never really even pondered that. And, you know, hey, you know, uh, to to the degree that someone is promoted, um, you still must take a test. Um, but uh, certainly uh, it's not a bad idea. Any idea that pushes uh, the, the, the issue and, you know, closing of these cases because the degree to which they are warehoused and and backlog is, I, it's unfathomable. Then you know you 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 go after one of these cases and you find out that this rapist or this abuser is a recidivist. He's wanted for or she's wanted for crime, all over. And you know, um, and I, I you know I, the civil liberties issues. Beside the point, uh, the fact of the matter is. Uh, uh, the criminals slip through the system, play the system, and continue to um, affect, you know, uh, mayhem and violence and 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 rape and these types of crimes on on people. Yeah, I mean, I it's funny because we were just talking about this yesterday. Is that I'm generally pretty anti-law enforcement, but yet I love law enforcement shows. And yet, but I, but I also, yeah, but I also watch firefighter shows, but I'm not, yeah, it's very interesting, but I'm, I, I find that they're so over-militarized at this point and they're well, so- the, the police are becoming the military and the military are becoming the police. You know, there was this kind of strange shift that happened. I just want to say that I work with, and today, even today, I work with a uh, police department, uh, two different, um, two different agencies uh, on a, almost a daily basis. And Maybe it's luck. Maybe it's I don't know what it is. Training, but these guys are fantastic, and gals are fantastic. We work together so closely. Um, uh, no matter what the what the case is, only every once in a while you find somebody not doing their job. Let's say on our end or their end, but for the most part, ninety eight percent, it's just a really complimentary, uh, uh, effective, positive experience working with with the police departments that we do. Right. I, I, and I always I find it so interesting, actually, how you were able to make the unpopular character extremely likable. And, and I thought, that was, <laughs> no, I mean, he was what they call him rat squad. I mean, like nobody likes those guys. I mean, and yet he had a very, very much integrity about him that was very respectable, even though you knew that he was unpopular. Well, as an artist, as an actor, you want to you want to play the bad guy. It's just fun. You, you, <laughs> the, the, the the nice guy that is is boring. It's like hello, you know. It's um, <laughs> however, you know, the 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 prospect of, of of the police policing the police, you know, very serious thing. So let them call me Rat Squad. Let them, you know, uh, 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 cast their, you know aspersions but the fact of the matter is i i respect the police department so much a uh, great many of my friends were nypd uh, i think to a man and woman they are all retired now but uh, we were very close friends with the first deputy chief of the department uh, john timoney at one point and and so uh it's like any job or business or profession you're gonna have bad apples and you want yes. somebody there very formidable a lot of gravitas knows the job and and it's it's homage i think to those guys who do that job because it's a tough job you know uh internal yeah. affairs uh from what i've found out and so i actually really i enjoyed playing that you like that i did it was you know to come in against chris maloney because he's he's such a 
great, strong, formidable actor, oh, yeah. and, you know, to clash. Uh, and, and it didn't matter who it was, which character, when I had to go up against him, it was just plain fun. It was fun oh. to act. So Okay, good. Hands down, favorite, favorite episode with you, hands down, was when she was being held hostage in the house. And then he's like, you have to call someone who cares about you, basically. And it was really like that to me was really cool. I just, you know, and you had to come and handle the situation. Well, you know, somebody who cares about somebody who's not going to screw it up, let's say. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, there's a hostage negotiator. He He's the guy who wrote the book. I, I, actually, his predecessor was a detective named Frank Bolds. And this man's name is Jack Canbury. And he's, they call him Gentleman Jack. The most, the sweetest gentleman. And he is a gentleman. I mean, he's the epitome of what a gentleman is. And he was the preeminent negotiator, and I got to meet him. And um, let's get back to the characters, though. Um, you know, uh, uh, gosh, that was called Townhouse Incident, the name of the episode. And, I've seen um, it many times, I'm telling you. Like, oh, it's, right. well, it's always just playing on a loop. It isn't like some weird, like, stalker psycho thing or anything. It's just always it on. It just happens to be it that just episode. Happens. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that was a terrifically strong episode. Oh, yeah. uh, and, uh, I thought Mershko was just unbelievable. Everybody was unbelievable. I remember yeah. when she said to me, she's like staring at me one day and she's like, you're going to be my love interest next season. I was like, what? <laughs> like this, you know, and she just blurted that out. She goes, you're going to be my love interest. And I say, and I remember like Ice-T said something like, that's going to be a slow boat to turn around. And, um, and Mershko said, no, if, if, if I, if you if I love you, they will love you. And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, so the the you know the consensus was not fully in. Uh, you know, it was I think it was like a 50-50. People were just couldn't stand. I would have people yell at me in New York City, yo, leave my girl alone. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like constantly, you know. Um uh the the Department of Traffic gals who write the tickets, they were especially uh, <laughs> protective of Olivia, uh, but uh, it was fun. We we worked very hard, and and we, you know because again of the subject matter, you want to get it right. You know you have you're you're obliged to get it right, and um, uh, and you know those scripts, those storylines really turn the heat up. When I was there, it wasn't for the, you know the the police athletic league softball team. It was because somebody's going to jail. You know what I mean? Right, right. One of our heroes. So it always offered me this wonderful challenge, you know, to 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 um, to play. Yeah, no, I actually think it was great, and and you actually that was my favorite love interest post the Harry Connick um, situation, which also, you know, I mean, it's Harry Connick, you know, what I mean? like so. <laughs> I have, I have <laughs> a question, Harry. <laughs> Well, with that voice, how could you not? Uh, you got the looks and the voice. Yeah, he got a little guy, sweetheart of a guy, total yeah. sweetheart of a guy. I had the, I had the uh, opportunity to uh, hang out with Dean Winters a couple of times at the. I think it's called the Ear Inn. <laughs> I in, can't uh, with him. With right me. by the right by the Holland Tunnel, and he was really cool. And you know, just knowing that when you have the opportunity to work on a show that really is timeless, and I don't know how to explain it because I don't really watch much TV, but there is something about the way. You know, the SVU and just the Law and Order universe is done differently than pretty much any other show I've ever seen that's in some way, shape or form similar to subject matter. 
they really know how to tell a story. And that is a real art form when it comes to acting. It, there really is no other way to describe it. And you, as an actor, I'm sure you know, even when you're making an hour-long episode, you know when you have something special happening in that moment. And there, there really is something to how they can continue to just drive the story along after all these years. That really is an amazing skill. They are craftsmen and women. They are uh, wordsmiths. They are uh, dramatists. Uh, they are adherent to the clock, you know, knowing they have parameters of time. Uh, so to me, it's, a, it's really intriguing. It's a discipline that I know not about. I, I can remember having lines cut and I'm like, oh, you can't cut that line. That's my favorite. <laughs> and they're like, it is, you know, um, I remember one time uh, the episode where I am, uh, going after my cousin who's the priest and we're screaming at each other wow. in the church uh michael o'keefe i mean eugene. say no more uh cousin eugene cousin and, eugene. and um we shot you know, so here's the mechanics of it sometimes that can really make you nervous uh we shot the scene where i'm leaving that confrontation yeah we shot that first so the you know like what is the temperature? Like how much, how much did I yell inside that church? Uh, what happened there? I don't know because we're shooting this first. We're shooting the end of the argument. So th those things kind of would keep me up at night, but they always worked out. They were always fine. But that, I, used that, that sometimes, I used to sometimes stay up at night when I was doing criminal defense and worry about, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this tomorrow? I understand. Well, you had somebody's life in your hands. I, for the most part, really only handled misdemeanors because of that. And I was really out of law school and I had a lot of friends that would take felonies. And I was thinking, you know, it's like if I'm not doing my job great, like some of my DUI people get additional six months of community service or whatever, I can live with that. You know, like there's nothing that <laughs> I'm doing. And I did a lot of possession of marijuana cases, which was like my forte. Ironic. Where did you practice? I was in San Antonio oh, um, doing criminal. And now in Florida, I'm licensed, but I never did criminal here. I've done condo association litigation. Like if your dog is over the 30 pound weight limit of your condo association, you'd be hearing from me. <laughs> it was it was such a meaningful part of my existence. <laughs> my doing youngest, my youngest son just started law school on Monday. Where? Uh, St. John's. Oh, nice. Uh. I, I went to St. Mary's. <laughs> There you go. Catholic. I think convocation is going to be tomorrow. No. Um, well, well, now you know, well, now you know you, you, if your son ever has any questions, just bother you. Maybe. <laughs> you know. So talk about your new movie. Like talk about like how you got involved in this project. I haven't seen anything. Peter told me that he saw something about and it. It's about a U.S. senator. So I figured, what the hell? This is like perfect uh, considering what our show is about. Yeah. So any, you know. Yeah, it's a U.S. senator who had all the chance in the world to affect um, meaningful uh, uh, gun legislation and chose not to. Um, actually, this, this flag here is a prop from the set. It's very mournful if you see it in real life. It's not. It doesn't have this glitz. It's a. It's a. Um, it's. Uh, I, I remember seeing it and I said that is staggering because it's just. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of a sad uh, state of affairs. And and I said and I remember and. Long story short, uh, the uh, director, producer, actress Tara Westwood presented it to me when we were finished. Uh, so it's a 
the genesis of the project was a one-act play. And, um, and so Tara Westwood decided that she would try to make it a, a, a short film. We got this uh, fantastic crew together and uh, uh, Caitlin Manner and Isaiah Whitlock and myself and, and Tara, just the four characters. And it was, uh, it's, it's a pretty powerful piece. It's um, got a very shocking end to it. Uh, but it, it, it just kind of touches all the bases. You know, it's, uh, you have these families who are so distraught to the point of insanity, um, to the point of, um, oh, what, what are they? They're, 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 they're out of their minds with grief and they do something that's out of them, out of their mind, uh, by staging this, uh, home invasion on the Senator. Uh, and you find out it's not just the Senator whose home is being invaded, uh, on that particular evening of the drama. So anyway, yeah. Um, it's not going to go out of what's the word out of the newspapers because of where our country is at. Um, sadly, uh, but, uh, it's nice to be a part of a project that people talk about and, uh, hopefully some action will come out of it. Where can people see that? Like, where is that? Uh, you see, I don't, it's, it's doing like, um, festival circuits right now. So, uh, I, I think pretty soon it, it, it should be released on some link or other and, uh, uh, in, in, on some platform. Okay. I think you gotta, you know, take on some of these projects. And again, that's the great thing about being an actor is that you can, especially if you're a veteran, you can kind of pick and choose, you know, what type of projects you want to take on. And uh, obviously if it makes it to Tribeca, that's, Obviously, you know, that's just that's the one you want, especially. Yeah. And hopefully it, um, you know, more of these types of topics do need to be talked about. Uh, I don't think we see enough uh, art being done regarding politics. I think very often when it is done, it's done in a very gratuitous kind of way. I, I don't think people really take on the subject matter in a way that really affects the type of change that you need. I think what film has the ability to do is to make you think. Um you know, they don't get finance. No, none of those big corporations want to finance movies that are anti-big corporation, and that's ultimately what we're talking about. Well, yeah, but you know, my well, Bob, my favorite movie is Shawshank, and you know, when you think about the way that that movie was done, it's almost like secondary to think about just how brutal the prison industrial complex can be, and the way that things are. Mm -hmm. It's an incredible piece of art. But one of the main storylines of Shawshank is how corrupt the prison industrial system really is. And so when you have that type of profound impact as a film, the same thing can be done even in a, you know, a 20 minute short movie. Hey, we've got a serious problem with gun violence in the United States, among other things. Maybe this movie, if you see it, is going to make you think for a minute. Yeah, maybe something serious needs to be done. I, I think as an artist, to your point, you know, we're constantly holding up the mirror, you know, oh, America is a great country. It's like, there's 2 million people in prison here. You know, it's like, really? Um, uh, the military industrial complex, the prison industrial complex, you know, um, gosh, it, you know, it's come down to business. It's, it's business is business, right? There are jobs out of this, uh, construction jobs and personnel jobs. But um, yeah, as an artist, uh, certainly Shawshank, and and you know, you look at what the prison system has even evolved or devolved into since the making of that film. Uh, I wonder how many people were incarcerated when that film was made, as opposed to how many are now, uh, and how many more prisons there are, 
as opposed to, you know, drug rehabs or, or daycare centers or affordable housing, you know, the list goes on. Um, again, corporations get their hooks in and uh, you're going to have a, well, you're not going to have one. You're going to have two prisons in your county. You know, it's like, um, I don't know. I think there's so, so many missed opportunities. Um, I think there are so many cowards out there in terms of our um, uh, uh, politicians and leaders. I think they just, coward is the only word I can use. Um, that, okay. that somebody wouldn't come up with a, a more effective, creative, productive, constructive, healthy choice for a community, uh, for their communities. Uh, it's 2022, as far as I feel, and the answers are here. You know what I mean? It's up to us whether we're going to use them or not. So, Well, I feel like it's us versus the corporate power. Like we, we are right now being governed by a minority, by a minority mindset is governing a majority. So that's what you call a dysfunctioning broken republic because our policies do not reflect the majority opinion of our people. And so that we're sort of stuck right now. And what we're going to see, I think, is more and more desperate people <clears throat> who have access to firearms. And what I really, I'm, I'm just hoping, and I hate to say it, but that they go and they put that anger in the correct direction. Um, a lot of it gets misguided, but there are people that have responsibility for, for what they do in this country, whether you're a Supreme Court justice and you're going flatly against what most people want or whatever it is you're doing or you're doing insider trading in, in the Senate or in Congress and other people can't afford health care. You eventually are going to piss off the wrong person. And I, I just we I don't think we've seen as bad as it's going to get. And I think that people should be scared in those positions when you're acting in the interest of yourself against the majority of people. You shouldn't get a moment's peace when you leave your house. Well, <laughs> um, you know, some, some, something as simple as, as food, you know what I mean? Uh, food deserts and, and, and the obesity problem in this country and, you know, corporations, again, the, that, that, that cabal that I speak of that are sitting down right now and say, if we raise the sugar right to the eye level as they walk in the door, because we'll have the, the, you know, the, the facial recognition. We know, Jim, you know, it, the lock is in. There was, you know, 20, 30 years ago and people would talk around about the corporations and corporations. And to me, then it was an abstraction. And what, what, it's one more abstraction that's come down off the wall and become a reality. And, you know, now I see it. Now I don't poo-poo it. Now it's, it's the, as far as I'm concerned, the lock is in. Very, very difficult to, you see, this is where personal responsibility comes in. This is where the strength that, that we all need. And this is why I think that we should be helping each other because some of us are uh, uh, awake to, to, to these types of things and the, the, demonstrative and unhealthy effect that they have. And some people are not simply we're very happy to just, you know, uh, put shitty food in their bodies all day long and not move. And, and, you know, um, uh, 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 by, you know, their 82nd gun, you know what I mean? Okay. You know, uh, why don't we get rid of 40 of them and go get a gym membership? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? But there are healthful choices. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, spiritual helpful, helpful choices. And I, I just don't think we're taking them. I think we're, we're missing them. Yeah. It's because they're not as profitable. You know, it's like when your number one industry is weapons and arms, you're going to create wars. 
You're going to have situations where you have armed military and police because that's what we do. We make weapons in this country. And so the Supreme Allied Commander of the Second World War, who is a Republican president warning us in 1959 or 60, whatever it was, warning us. He's like literally takes his last speech and says, this is it, folks. This is yeah. what you need. I didn't say the Soviets or I didn't say the Chinese. I didn't say any of that. I said us. I said the enemy. He said the enemy is us. And and everybody just kind of stared back at the television, I guess. Didn't really fully uh, comprehend it. Maybe they did, but didn't accept it. Does it surprise you how easily manipulated the masses still are even to this day with so much readily available information at their fingertips? No, there's been, there's been just so much technology and research done. And the uh, internet was supposed to be a tool to bring us together. And what it, I think it's fragmented us. Uh, there's so many special interests. There's very hard to, it's like herding cats. You know, it's, everybody goes down their own little rabbit hole. I saw a meme the other day that said uh, the internet used to be a place where you could escape from reality. Now reality is a place where you escape from the internet. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a device like anything. There's a maturity. There's a spirituality that we we haven't. Uh, that isn't complementary to the technology yet. We haven't caught up with it. I don't think we will really. Maybe we will. Um, but uh, uh, you have to have a sense of self, a sense of your your own being. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, the same instrument, the same convention, the same uh, tool we're using right now. Uh, it can be used for good or evil, like anything else. So, um, but to be cognizant of that, to use it in the right way. Uh, becomes ever increasingly, you know, they, uh, I'm going to have generational change uh, uh, ads on my discovery page tomorrow, you know, Uh, you know, they're listening, the lock is in. And, um, you know, I guess we've made a pretty good impact then. Well, (laughs) we we can hope. Talk Talk about your genesis for a moment. Me? Yeah, well, yeah, this, this, platform. Okay. So in 2020, I ran for Congress. Um, I challenged Debbie Wasserman Schultz in the primary uh, down here in Florida. It was Florida's 23rd. Now we're 25th. But, um, and Peter and I did that together. He was like my partner. He ran my campaign. Well, we kind of just did it as a partnership and um, we transitioned that platform. We did really well. And then we transitioned that platform into this. And our my original goal was podcast. We didn't start out doing these live. Um, we, we started out doing long form interviews. I get a lot of, I like authors, historians. We did get Oliver Stone. I've had Jesse Ventura. Um, so, you know, we've had some pretty big names gets for our small little show. Um, but yeah, we come out of this from trying to transform politics into service, which is what we think it's supposed to be. And um, I'm tired of corporate career politicians. I'm tired of um, the parties just being complete tribal hacks and, you know, just all of it. It's very frustrating. And so we're just sort of trying to uh, do our part and uh, contribute against that. If we cast a wide enough net and formulate enough relationships, I think that that is more or less the key. We try to be extremely nonpartisan. Yeah. Um, the way I see it, if you don't like, um, you know, Trump, for example, that makes perfect sense for many. Um, but 
you know, again, you've been a, a firefighter. Obviously, you know, plenty of people who are police officers. A lot of them are Trump supporters. That doesn't mean that they're terrible people. Um, we have a way of, you know, dispersing these, um, you know, putting people into uh, categories, if you will. Uh, but the reality is we don't have a living wage in this country. We do not have universal health care. We do not have a robust climate initiative plan, which we desperately need. Uh, these are the things that overwhelmingly people agree on. It's yeah. when you get into the very uh, controversial minutia of different things in politics. Obviously, you know, you're you know, you're from New York. You're Irish Catholic. I mean, the idea that we ever thought we'd get to a place where the Supreme Court, which is Catholic, in terms of their decision-making, feel that they want to turn this into a theocracy. Uh, that is the type of subject that I think overwhelmingly people agree on, that it shouldn't be a theocracy, however. Are you trying to get me insane right now? I am not trying to get you insane. Because I'm feeling insane. When you start talking about my body parts and somebody else controlling them, it makes me want to, like, go nuts. But I also think that our lack of involvement as a collective, as a nation, that's how it's been allowed to happen. There is sort of this laissez-faire attitude of, well, I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to be involved in this or this or that. And it's like, well, it depends on what kind of politics. I don't either. It's slimy. It's disgusting. I feel it's total friggin' filth. That's why I have things on like SVU all the time in the background, because the other crap I have to watch is actually really stressful and disgusting. And so, yeah, it's it's ugly. And I you know, wish that there were a lot of other people willing to do it, but they're not. And so here I am. But um, yeah, begrudgingly, begrudgingly. I, I'm a reluctant candidate. Like I'm, I, I feel like nobody should want that job. Everybody should see it as a term of service and not a career. Um, I don't even think they should be paid what they're paid. I think they should get a stipend for when they're in session. And that's that. But, you know, I've also been called a communist before for such crazy, radical ideas. So who knows? Um, and my background is journalism, law and um, media. And that's my boring existence right there. Well, needless to say, my my dad retired as a church custodian, and um, he had some kind of dust up with the nuns once in the convent. And in 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 my eighth grade class, I remember one of the nuns said to me, "Your father's a communist." <laughs> I said, "He's not a communist, but you know, he he would wear that observation like a badge of honor coming from you." Um, these, well, no, I'm not even going to, uh, I, I go. actually like nuns. I, I've spent a lot of time. <laughs> I, I was a media manager at a Catholic hospital and I had to arrange for the transport of, um, how many, it was like 70 something nuns from the mother house in Mishawaka, Indiana. And I had to arrange for them to come to this opening of St. Francis hospital. So I was like dealing with like a gaggle of nuns for like a day. It was really interesting. I learned a lot. They're not as sweet and friendly as people might think. And there's a lot of infighting. I swear to you, it was like a, it was like a sorority. You don't have to tell me. Um, like it was very <laughs> clicky and very like so-and-so wouldn't sit with so-and-so. And I was like, ladies, you're very disappointed. Oh, nothing ever changes no matter what line of work anybody <laughs> ultimately ends up in. I taught them what cleavage was. That was the other thing. Yo, you're going to hell. <laughs> I don't I don't think so. But the one of them actually found the thing I was looking for because they made me sit there and pray to St. Jude, sorry, who is a patron saint of lost sorry, causes. Bodily cleavage or cleavage of other bodily cleavage. Okay. I thought that. You know, yeah. I have my mother had my mother had um, uh, thirteen brothers and sisters, and three of whom three of whom oh. were nuns. 
Three oh. of my aunts were nuns. Yeah, they were, and they were the most fun people. One of my sister, Chris, she was just so much fun as a human being. She taught at Oxford. She was a theologian, uh, but she was just insanely funny and, and, and good natured and upbeat. And what are we doing now? Um, so yeah, I had, I had lots of different, um, you know, interactions with clergy. I saw some as very holy reverend people, some as just, I mean, the most brilliant thinkers, uh, uh, historians, uh, theologians, and then others is, I'm not even going to say, but um, yeah, yeah, there you go. There's a good old fashioned word for you. <laughs> um, uh, but getting back to you, you something you said, uh, action. action, 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 coupling it with action. action. And, and this is my big, this is a central theme in my life. Um, we used to say, oh, I'm very grateful. You know, I'm very, I don't want to hear that you're grateful. I don't want to think gratitude. I don't want to speak it. I don't want to feel. Show me through your actions. We always say gratitude is an action. So you show me how grateful you are to be in this country, how grateful you are to be a member of, you know, the school. Action, action, action. My father used to always say that. I don't care what you say or think. I'm going to watch what you do. And, and, and therein, you know, that was, that was how you were going to, that was going to be your signature to your life, to your work. And um, my sister said, you know, she thinks that my father would be proud of me. He passed many years ago. I remember once when I was a little kid, not little, but in the city, we saw firemen, fire, paid firefighters. But one time when we moved to Long Island and I saw this man, Mr. Klein, and I, I remember the horn went off and I saw him look and he was working as a mechanic and he ran and he got in his car and off he went. And I was like, wow, I, I don't know why that impressed me. The, the dispatch, the, the immediacy the dropping, he wasn't asking what somebody's politics were or, you know, color or race or, you know, it was just, there's no question here. So it's a very pure path. I, I, I wrote something down here the other day, and I, I think I'm going to have some t-shirts made up. It says the fire service represents one of the greatest causes of good still in our country. That's why it's so important to understand that one of us represents all of us act accordingly. You know what I mean? And so there, there's um, accountability. There's that, that old virtue of I'm accountable to my neighbor. You know what I mean? You know, I'm not a big Bible guy or, you know, a dogmatic guy, but there's there are these truisms, I believe, that they kind of work out karmically in terms of vibration. It's like, you know, um, if, if, you, if you're not trying your best, but if you're doing it, actually doing it, you know, there's this it's called Long Island Cares. It's it's a food bank. I've been trying to get it over there to work with them, and I just can't seem to pull it off. I use the word trying because I haven't done it yet. Uh, when I was a kid, I traveled with an acting company, and Harry Chapin was one of the people who was with us. And this is his baby. This was something that he constructed or was constructed in, in his name after he passed away. And, and so it has this kind of meaning. I'll get there when I get there. Do you know what I mean? But but, but I'm not afraid to take action. It was like, well, maybe it'll be the other guy or, you know, uh, that's just so like everybody comments and, and has all this, uh, these, these, the self critique on what you're doing. And you know what? It could be, it could be just walking down in a park and cleaning up trash. I mean, I'm telling you, I do it all the, all the time. I do it on the beach. It's, it's a thing called a sea swell and you keep data of how much trash you've collected and, you know, 
uh, my kid joked one day, because sometimes I'll go for micro pieces, the little pieces that will kill birds in the immediate or the big pieces. And, and you see they open up these birds and they're filled with plastic. Yeah, and um, my, my son once said, he goes, didn't get it on dad's beach, you know. But the fact of the matter is there are actions we can take to help your neighbor. And, 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 and this is the only way we're going to get through. And there are small actions and lots of the small ones will take care of the big ones. It's, it's an equation. It's been borne out time and time again by different people throughout history. Um, if we don't take this simple equation, I, then I don't know what's going to happen, but we are our brother's keepers. Yeah, that I always say that to me, that that's the common denominator. If I can discuss politics with someone is either you do or do not believe we have a responsibility for the least of these. And I do believe that. And we we do things local, regular. I mean, that's all the money that we get from generational change goes towards our community service and to non-corporate candidates. Um, but yeah, we do everything from beach cleanups to food distributions and um, give out homeless like care packs. And we do, that's what we, that's what generational change I, is all about. I tweeted something a couple of weeks ago and it's facetious. And, and, and it says, I hope someday that someone creates a religion based on the teachings of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and and here again you use the word least so christ compels us in his in his in in, in what was said of him a hundred years later but it's very interesting what they said it wasn't you know uh, uh uh ask the question who who may i help and who should i help he doesn't say oh help the, the least of my brothers the 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 priest father michael judge who died on 9 11 he was the fdny chaplain and he was a buddy of mine mm -hmm. yeah and we used to have a, a, a these conversations about about the prospect of helping the least of your brothers this this fireman was a great friend of 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 mike judge and patty was his name patty brown he would walk down the street and he'd kind of give a dollar to every homeless person like you know here's a dollar here's a dollar yeah, get some coffee get a buttered roll and i remember once saying to him pat you can't can't give a dollar to every homeless guy you see and he looked at me he goes why not and i was like oh you know like that was my little buddha moment these guys were beautiful people they're just they were like little saints floating around right in our midst and so you know mike judge went to work with the with aids patients uh in in the mid 80s and and they were the least of his brothers nobody even wanted to touch those, those people who were afflicted and um, and I thought, wow, this guy is like a superhero. This guy is real, the real thing, the real thing, not not, you know, a uh, 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 mega church. No, 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 no. He's out there, one on one, and 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 his only premise was that this person go and help somebody else, you know. So these men that I knew and women were just very effective, very modest but effective. And, and it was all about action. Yeah. Well, you have certainly exemplified that in more ways than one, Bob. Um, you're not just a fantastic entertainer, but you're also a fantastic human. We're very grateful. It's very nice to on. meet you. Yeah. And we hope. Uh, I'm very pleasantly not disappointed. I have to tell you. <laughs> no, because I have had that before where I find characters very appealing. And then it's the real, and I, I never want to meet the real people from my story. Because Interesting. 
because like I watch days of our lives. I know whatever it's ridiculous, but I don't ever want to meet them. I don't ever want to go to a fan event because if one of them was like, just so eh, it would like ruin the whole thing for me, you know? So um, thank you for not being That's like so that. Funny. Well, I get a great vibe off of you guys. And I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to uh, uh, just look at some past episodes and stuff like this. Please. Um, I, I find it be very interesting and worthwhile. You know, it's, 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 it's you can worth- be a patron for even $5 a month. There you go. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I think that's a great idea. Um, Bob, how can people find your work if they would like to check you out? Do you have a uh, website and obviously No, social? I don't do any of that. Like if you have, like my, my mom was very interested in my work before she passed away. And she was like the only, uh, I used to say, well, the box office, my, my mom's the only one in the box office I'm worried about. Uh, uh, these things uh, reveal themselves, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, you're going to see her. Sometimes when we go on a fire call, I have a lot of funny stories about that where somebody's like, wait a minute, are you Tucker? And I'm like, no, I look like that guy. I sound like him. You know, I mean, that's happened. We were just talking about that uh, yesterday, uh, you know, when I was new and people were like, wait a minute, that's the guy from, and, and, and the guy, the fireman with me would say, yeah, that's him. He was on Rescue Me. Blah, blah, blah. And now I have to go and talk to the person because I don't want to be a schnook, you know? And I'm like, hello, yes, it's me. And, and, then, and then we get back to the firehouse and like, we're 20 minutes late because you're gabbing. I'm like, well, you gave me up. Like, so don't do that. So now they know, um, they, they say, oh no, it looks like just, yeah, looks just, he gets that all the time. Yeah. Well, and, we're about um, to bring on Long Island activists, so they might need your services at some point. I'm just saying, aren't you on the island? I am. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, um, well, make that connection. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's important we, guys know your local firefighters. Bob, we, you know, and obviously, you know, not, I just want to just talk about like past work and everyone fan boys and all of that fan girls and all that stuff. But I think we would be amiss not to ask what the experience was like working on tombstone. Obviously that was a, a very big deal early in your career. And of course um, that had just about everybody. And uh, you had the, uh, you, you, you had I don't the think pri- he can remember. He's having a hard time remembering. No, I, I, I do specifically. Well, he had the privilege of being uh, shot and killed by Val <laughs> Kilmer. So of course, you know, there's there everybody was got everybody got a shot at me. It was yeah. my <laughs> it was my third or fourth movie. What happened was the first director, writer, producer was fired from the movie after eight weeks. So Kurt Russell pulled us all into the bar, and he said, "Well, I got some good news and some bad news. The good news is we're going to keep shooting." The bad news is, well, Burke, for instance, all your stuff is cut. And I'm like, do I have to, do I have to go home? He goes, oh, no, we're going to keep shooting. But like all that backstory, everybody's backstory got kind of cut. And and I was like, I'm still getting paid to ride horses and shoot guns. I'm staying. And, and so, I mean, you're sitting there, Val Kilmer and Kurt Russell, Powers Booth, uh, you know, Charles Gaskin was in the damn thing. And, and. I'm a kid. I'm the son of immigrants. I grew up in a in a basement in Washington Heights. It's like now I'm riding horses and shooting guns. Really? And so the whole experience of acting has always been... I was just discussing this the other day about what I say when I'm finished with a job. I always say, if it's your will that I should continue this, I'm okay with that. You know, um, the fact that I've gotten to do these things is just beyond me. And... Um, so, but Tombstone particularly was epic, and I have many specific memories from it. Um, and we made very good friends on that, and we worked very hard. It was hotter than hell. I got tremendous. I got uh, uh, like a snapped ankle, and the side of my uh, uh, neck and face 
blew up once because I had the squib loaded too. It was too too powerful and it was in the wrong place. And a long story, but I had all these burns, <laughs> and uh, I made some lifelong friends on that film. So it was a it was a lot of fun. Who gets to do westerns? Jeez. I love that you're very appreciative. Oh. I love that you're very like gracious for because I feel like that in my life. Like I feel like that very much with what I do, and that I do use this show as an excuse to get to meet people and meet authors of books I like. And so it's really fun. And if I didn't have the show, I couldn't do that. The actor that uh, really stood out for me, uh, obviously Val goes without saying how great yeah. he was, yeah. but the actor that really stood out in that movie that I thought is an incredible character actor, like he was Stephen Lang. Uh, he really did. Can uh, I tell you? Yeah, I used to call him the Julio Cesar Chavez. Pound for pound, the best actor I've ever seen in my life. I still say that. I've seen him in Broadway a bunch of times. You're getting every nickel's worth out of that guy. I, 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 I mean, he was so like, and, and it's a period piece. You know, you, you don't want a, any contemporary value or rhythm or layer or texture. And he was just, I mean, I, and I would openly tell him. I think you're great, Mr. <laughs> so, but he, he's another guy. If I saw him walking down the street in New York, we'd stop and we'd hug. I mean, you know, to this day. Well, great actor. Well, let's, uh, let, let's definitely make a point uh, the next time we're up in the New York area to, to, to meet up because I'd like to buy you a beer. So th oh. that goes without saying. <laughs> and thank you for your amazing work. Uh, we would definitely love to chat with you again. Robert John Burke. And uh, we will uh, send you information about the, uh, the Patreon. Yes, you can always. Well, it's always there's always information in the description about Patreon. Yes. And uh, guys, please check out Trigger. It is a, it's not out yet, but it will be. And then yes. you guys will check it out. Yes. Here's, uh, here's great, great short film to check out and obviously check out uh, a very uh, wide library of fantastic oh, yeah. films going back uh, three decades. wider. <laughs> so, yeah, well, there you um, go. There's a film coming next year called uh, uh, The Boston Strangler with Keira Knightley. It's ah. refilling The Boston Strangler. And then November 11th, there's a film that I did called uh, Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. Yeah. Uh, that's coming in uh, uh, I mean, I have like R.I.P. Chadwick Boseman. Um, you know, like that's a little harsh, but I yeah. love the movie. Yeah, so uh, I that was another one where the agent calls and said, are, are you sitting down? And I'm like, yes. And, uh, he said, uh, you have a, uh, an offer here to do this, uh, do a nice little role. And I was like, you know, what do you say? Who do you say? You know, yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, these, these are two projects that are, will be coming out. Um, and I'm very proud of both. I mean, my goodness, it's, uh, you know, there are, there are no words, uh, only action. So get out there and, you know, and help. Yeah. Robert John Burke, thank you so much. We thank look forward you. to speaking with you again. Thanks so much, guys. Really nice to meet you. Bye now. Take care, brother. Well, Jen. Well, I always say he was lovely, you know, but right, no, he's on he's, another level. Oh, he's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, if my friend Rachel's watching this, you know, we would say he's delicious. <laughs> well, like that's what we. Would uh, say. Yeah. Well, he's uh, he, he, like I said, he's done a lot of uh, fantastic work. But aside from that, just the fact that he doesn't. It, he doesn't seem to have like an ounce of ego whatsoever. Anybody and that goes out of their way to train to be a firefighter oh, in their, in their forties yes. because they feel motivated and compelled to serve. That's very amazing to me. I would definitely agree. And we need a lot more of that mindset of service above self. And of course there is a fantastic group on Long Island, which is where Mr. Burke happens to be. What is it with Long Island having such good people? Are on the people? Island. Yeah, I guess that's how it works. 
Uh, but our friend is going to introduce uh, two wonderful local candidates. Um, you know him because he's been on our podcast before. He is the leader, as I like to say, of the Long Island activists. One Bob, of our one of the OG supporters of Gen 2020. I would definitely agree. Bob Buenaspina, welcome back to Generational Change. Hey, Bob. hey how are you? Good. Look, we're having back-to-back bobs. Yes, we certainly are. I'm just saying. But, well, one was one's Irish, one's Italian, so now you're definitely on Long Island. Uh, so, so he, the, the gentleman had me reminisce a little bit about Harry Chapin. Um, yeah. As a youngster, I actually knew Harry Chapin, and I, that's how I got involved in activism, actually. Um, and the sad part of the story is when I finally got to meet him, he actually hires me to be a roadie which I didn't know what a roadie was and <laughs> explained what it was. But uh, my very first job was actually the day he dies on the LIE. Uh, he died in a car crash. It was real wow. Yeah. But so much of good came from the man who was Harry Chapin. Um, and Long Island Cares is definitely one, one of his legacy, among many legacies. So um, Robert, I am going to write that all back to me as he, as he brought up Long Island Cares. And I'm going to give you. I am going to give you the privilege of introducing our two guests, Catherine Levy and Joe Sackman. Uh, let us start with Catherine. Uh, please introduce uh, her to the audience. What uh, what seat she is running for? Um, I'm assuming, assuming she's involved with the Long Island activists. So she's she's actually an elected official of something called Peer Progressive oh. East End Reformers, the sister group to Long Island activists. And together, the three of us are on the executive committee of NYPAN, New York Progressive Action Network. So we're going to talk a little bit about progressivism in New York State, uh, specifically on Long Island. But we could broaden it out to a wider discussion of what's going on right okay. now. Good, bad, and, and I And I know this is Catherine Levy. Catherine, welcome to Generational Change. Hi, how are you? Hi. Doing good. Nice to meet you. Absolutely. And the other gentleman who's coming on, I believe, has been on the show once before. I was going to say, we've spoken, I mean, yeah. Mr. Joe Sackman, welcome back to Generational Change. You're muted. You're muted. Now you're not. <laughs> it's great to be here. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. So as you guys know, goes without saying, uh, you know, Election Day is five days away. There's a lot of very important elections coming up. Um, most notably, our friend, uh, colleague, if you will, uh, Melanie DeRigo, uh, who's in your backyard. Uh, there's a very important congressional race in New York City. We are hoping, uh, against all hope, that uh, Yulene New is going to win her race in New York's 10th congressional district. And on Monday, night before the election, there is a very important Zoom, if Jen, you would like to. Well, yeah, everybody definitely should sign up. We're doing a phone bank for Melanie Monday night, six to eight. I'm hosting it. Uh, and I believe that there is a Zoom, there's a registration. There's a Zoom registration for this event and we've posted it on our page. Yes. So check it out. All right. Sign up, guys. Sign up. And then you have to, and then you can hear me nagging at you on a Zoom to keep calling. You make those calls. Wow. All right. You, you'll make calls too, you know. I will make calls. I'm not Poor very Jen good at it, but really I'll do, want to do that. Hate no. call time. But well, I should rather knock on doors. I will absolutely. I'd much rather knock on doors. Mm. So, yeah. what is the current state of these various races right now? Obviously, um, there's a number of congressional races, as I mentioned, that are obviously of great importance. But obviously, there's a lot of important state Senate races. 
uh, take it away. You know, a lot coming up uh, in the next five days. John, why don't you talk about the state of Melanie's campaign since you're I know, influenced sure. by Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you've had Melanie on before. And I think the last time I was on, um, we were dealing with redistricting and how much fun that was in New York. And um, so we've had a few changes. Um, Senator Biagi, who was running in that in CD3, dropped out of CD3, and now she's running in another race against uh, Representative Maloney, who is not really that great. <laughs> so, um, so she's up there now. And, um, you know, Melanie's running against uh, some really establishment type corporate types. Uh, one of them is a county legislator who ran as an independent on the conservative line and switched to Democrat last minute. Yeah. And has passed some horrendous laws in Nassau County to make the police a protected class and, uh, you know, diminish, you know, our constitutional rights, threaten them even. Um, giving them the ability to sue anybody uh, for just feeling menaced. They just had to feel menaced. So if you're at a rally or protest and the cops felt menaced by your presence, they could claim a hate crime and sue you for up to $50,000. Wait, this is a Democrat? that well, He's an independent. I wouldn't call him a Democrat. He's an independent who caught this. He's running as a Democrat. And a Democrat. Yeah. Just to run in this race, his name is Josh Lafazan, um, and so he. This is this is what we're talking about. We've got people like this trying to get into Congress. They're going to go wherever the wind goes, and whoever's going to pay the most money, you know, for their campaigns. Um, you know, the other candidates that are in there: establishment Dems, you know, party hacks. Uh, Robert Zimmerman's got deep connections with the Clintons, you know, and we've got Melanie the best candidate on Long Island. She really is. She's, you know, working class, middle class all the way. You know? I, I would just interrupt and say, I think she's one of the best candidates in the nation, actually. I, I think that if we send her to Congress, she's going to be the next Katie Porter or the next member. Uh, I mean, she, I, I, I rarely felt as passionate about a candidate as I do about Melanie. I, she, she has a remarkable grasp of policy. She has an ability to articulate progressive policies in common sense ways and show, showing how humane they are. And she's always on the front of any policy discussion. So something that's really, she impresses me over and over again, but something that's really impressed me is that instead of just bemoaning what the terrible Supreme Court is doing, she was right out of the gate suggesting Supreme Court reforms. And she has a whole policy plank on her website about Supreme Court reforms, most notably expanding the court, but term limits and ethics reforms. And everybody else is just saying, oh, it's so terrible. You know, we we really hate what they're doing. And she's proposing solutions. And that's typical of her, I think. She, she is, I think, a real standout candidate nationally. Not just well, most of our people just attend rallies. That's right. what they do. They just go do photo ops at rallies and stand and give speeches, even though it's the same people that have basically rubber stamped every conservative jurist that this that Donald Trump appointed. And now they're standing there and saying, oh, my God, how did this happen? But I'll go to a protest. 
Yeah, well, you know, it's very it's, helpful. It's uh, it's a way to socialize, I guess. That's kind of how it <laughs> goes. But I think Melanie has a number of advantages in this race. Uh, will it pay off? I don't know, because obviously she's going to get outspent probably considerably by a couple of guys. But uh, I think there's about six candidates in the race. She is the only woman that she is the only non-corporate progressive that's running. Uh, there's definitely a lane. And when you have, you know, probably only the need to get in this case, maybe 25 to 30 percent of the vote in order to win. Uh, she basically just needs to hold her numbers that she held against uh, Sousey from last time. And she should be in good shape. Is that what you guys are thinking at this point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if she can do that. There um, is there is a second woman running. Um, and there is Rima. Yeah. Right. But, um, Rima Rastul is the right. other woman who's, who's running. Right. I wouldn't say that she's, she's not as outspoken. I wouldn't put her in the same class as Melanie, but um, she is running. Yeah. And so, three other gentlemen. We want to stay positive about Melanie. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, definitely that's the number uh, that you know if she gets that number, she she's gonna she's gonna bring it home. Um, and everything that Catherine said is right. You know, Melanie's understanding of policy, her her ability to communicate that is is so impressive that whenever she talks to anyone, people you would like, oh, they're never gonna go for her, right? She wins. She's got them because she's genuine and she goes out there, tells it like it is. And she, she explains it. She explains Medicare for all in such a way that people who are just staunchly against it realize, wow, I've been thinking about this the wrong way. And they come in and they're like, we need to do this. So she, like Catherine said, she would be the next Katie Porter but she'd be Melanie Dorigo. She'd be the she'd next be Melanie Dorigo. We would just be talking two years from now about who is going to be the next Melanie Dorigo. Um, I just I wanted to say that we uh, Pierre did a fund a couple of fundraisers for her out here on the East End, where people tend to be wealthier and more conservative. And I did one fundraiser for her, and I was a little nervous about some of the people who were there and whether they were going to completely accept how progressive Melanie is. And I talked to her about that, and she she came at the issues in such a personal way, talking about her journey to becoming a candidate, that she won everybody over. And people whom I never expected to be enthusiastic about her were loving her by the end of the evening. And I've seen that. Haven't you, Bob and Joe, seen that over and over again, that she converts people? I'm sure you're seeing it at the doors all the time. Yeah, I mean, that's been at the doors. You know, when... They get to hear her message. You knock on the door. Oh, and they go, oh, oh yes, I'm voting for her. <laughs> so yeah, it all comes down to how likable a character is. It really is. It's like people have to like you. They have to connect with you. They have to trust you. And that is something that is very intangible. And it's not something that everybody just has. So a lot of people that want to run for office, they don't necessarily have that. It's, it's not it's not something that's easily found. And so it's very cool because it brings people over that wouldn't otherwise be in your side based on just that person. And it's and it's a it's a very good it's a very good gift. And it takes so she's got all those endorsements. Yeah. You know, and and there these aren't all of them, you know. Yeah. So they're good. They're good. And again, I think that the, the name recognition factor is is so big. Um, there is so much to combat against uh, corporate special interests. I mean, look, you know, New York City, Long Island. I mean, it's 
one of the richest enclaves in the whole world, much less our country. So there's a lot of uh, competing interests of, uh, you know, big business, um, you know, chamber of commerce, everything in between. And there's always going to be a yes man who's going to step up to the plate and be like, yeah, I'll do whatever you say. Just give me the, you know, sweetheart career. That That's why I'm running. Um, but hopefully there is enough in this case, uh, a lot more working in Melanie's favor than last time. And she was still able to do pretty well. Uh, against Salzy in uh, the last election cycle. And so now, you know, hitting the home stretch and having a, would you say, I mean, look, we were in Cleveland um, both times for Nina Turner in the home stretch. Uh, when we went there for this last election in the spring, um, we were met with what I would call sort of like reality setting in even before election day, because on the Saturday when you should have, Look, in my opinion, with Nina, you should have at least 100 volunteers in the office, you know, ready to get out there and knock on doors. Um, Saturday before the election. Probably a dozen people. Not yet. Not even. It was um, it was a completely mismanaged campaign as far as I'm concerned. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, How are you guys doing in terms of campaign volunteers, uh, phone bankers, text bankers? How's the field? Like, that's the thing. Like, how's the canvassing? I, I think her field is probably the only field out there. Um, now, that's not to say that there aren't people walking around for, you know, Zimmerman or Cayman or Maverick Lavazan. He hoodwinks all these teenagers in to work for his campaign and they just do lit drops. They're not engaging with people. Right. Sounds um, like Bloomberg's presidential campaign. <laughs> I mean, I was out I was out canvassing before this, you know, okay. so knocking on doors and and communicating with people. And it's going to be a low turnout. It's going to be a low turnout primary, and it's and it's going to be that effect of who's hitting the doors, who's knocking the most doors, and who's just doing the most outreach. Of course, there's mailers coming in left and right. I mean, Swazi did a mailer every day for about 10 days before the primary. Yeah. Melanie still did great, and her her whole campaign wasn't as robust and as strong as it is today. So, you know, he spent millions because he realized that there, she was a threat to, you know, his incumbency. And now, you know, with this, it's going to be people recognizing, you know, that she's the candidate that we need. And there are people out there every day knocking. Um, I'm going to say the, the person that does the most uh, is it's her husband. Doug. Is Doug. <laughs> her husband. Yeah. Um, and they... They they have they have the I think the only field operation that's really making any difference, um, you know, phone banking. Our revolution every week is phone banking for her. Last night I was an indivisible text bank. I I think I must have hit at least a dozen positive IDs in an hour and a half. Um, you know, just that's me doing text banking. Um, so you know, it's it's her. It's other organizations doing work for her. Um, and it's still going to be tough. It's still going to be tough. You know, I'm really hopeful, but, um, you know, it's, this is, this is what grassroots is. It's not easy. If it was easy, we, we, I would have won in 2020. <laughs> so, you know, Janet would have won. Um, so it's, uh, it's really something that takes a lot of, a lot of effort, you know, to, to get done. And, and not every campaign is going to be an AOC campaign, you know, where they, they show up and, the, you know, they, the right circumstances and the right amount of work and networking, and you get it done. But um, 
you know, it may take one or two, sometimes three times to, to win. So it has to be a perfect storm. And and there's a lot of variables and a lot of variables that you have no control over. And then even the ones you do have control over, but you don't always know how things are going to go. Like it's it's I always say it's like riding on a roller coaster where you're in the front and the last car is on fire and the fire is coming up to the front. and You have to get to the end of the ride before you're engulfed in the flames. That's what being on a campaign feels like. Yeah, I, I would urge everybody <laughs> who's watching this podcast to phone wherever you can. Yeah, I, I'm phoning from Sag Harbor, right? Um, on Saturday, my husband and I are traveling an hour and a half to Hicksville to canvas for Melanie. People are writing, have been writing postcards from here. You know, there are, you can do, there's some text banking going on. You can, you can volunteer for anywhere. And, and the last four days of GOTV, people really need to pitch in as if their life depends upon it. Because, you know, if we could send Melanie, somebody as progressive and dynamic as Melanie to Congress from CD3, that would revolutionize Long Island politics. And th that would make a, I think it would make a more huge impact than probably any other congressional race that's going on in New York at this moment. Yeah. Although yeah. there's some very important ones, obviously. The one you mentioned in CD10 is so important. But. Yeah, yeah we, had you lean on, we had you lean on, and I, I liked her very much. And I'm, I'm, I'm very hoping that she is the person who walks away she's, from that. Uh, she's in striking distance. She could definitely pull us off. And I think, uh, and I'm sure, Bob, you have definitely had a, uh, a, you know, some effort uh, along with a lot of other people that have exposed this uh, um blanking on is, is it goldman is that is that um, who, yeah, yeah the, the, this guy is you know again yeah. another freaking uh developer, super right? developer yeah. you know conservative who's right. dressing himself up as a democrat and of course all the chamber of commerce people and all that uh poured so much money into this race and yet right now uh you know he's in first place with 22 percent and you is in second place with 17 percent a lot of that can change over the next five days um, it would not shock me in the least if Eileen does pull this off because she definitely has the grassroots energy to do it. But man, it is tough to beat that uh, the, the New York uh, political machine. It's very money in politics. It's it's a huge hurdle and it's a huge corruptive influence. But it's a very progressive district, and the shame of it is that there are a lot of progressive candidates who are splitting the vote there. So I am urging everybody, even if they love another candidate, to go and vote for Eileen. Because she is the progressive who has the best chance of winning. And if the progressives split this vote, they're going to, CD10, an incredibly progressive district, is going to send this conservative Democrat, this corporate Democrat, to Congress. And that would be a shame. Bob, what is the motivation behind somebody like Jessica Ramos endorsing Carolina Rivera? Uh, like, I, I see that and I'm just thinking, uh, you know, you, you can't. I, Everyone has a right to run, but it's so painfully obvious that Yulene is the one person who has a shot to pull this off. And it, it I mean, to me, it, it looked like this happened today. This looks like really, really bad political calculation on her part. Honestly, I don't know the motivation behind any of that. Um, I do agree with Catherine saying that people are attacking one another within progressive circles. Yeah. We only talk about who, but there is another candidate there who, who has been elected, 
who is and has no damn business being in that race. But if he had a spine, he'd be the one running against Maloney. But instead, you now may put Melanie in Congress because Alessandra Baeghi decided, now I'm going to take on the real challenge and go after the guy who was hurting New York. Uh, everyone makes these ridiculous political calculations. <laughs> and very often, I don't think they're making them on their own. I think a lot of people get really bad advice in politics. Would you say that's fair? That sounds about right. Yeah, because yeah, consultant class people want yeah. to in and be able to profit off of their campaigns like a bunch of white collar carnies yeah. that just travel from town to town exploiting candidates. And then you do have what, what Joe was saying, money being thrown into these races. We have all these people. Uh, there's a group right now that calls themselves New York progressives. Yeah. There might be a lawsuit against this group, but we but it's basically real estate money. Committee of the New York Progressive Action Network, and it looks like this conservative group is, is trying to make them look like they're us. Yeah. Um, and they're attacking you. It's really despicable. Um, well, you know, they did things like that here in Florida where. Well, you Debbie know, claimed to be a progressive on her literature. She well, said she was the progressive running in our race. Well, Bob, I don't know if you know this or not, but in like the, I think it was probably like two months prior to the election, Debbie sent out a mailer that was in purple and orange and it's like oh yeah talk about she she copied our she colors uses, and said she's the progressive her colors are white red and, and black. black and it's like oh you send out a purple mail and she i wonder why you do such a thing it's so again to me if you don't have any merit to stand on then you resort to attacks you know we saw that today with um you know, you have Maxwell Frost, who's oh. running in Congressional District 10 here in Florida. And there was a situation. A, yeah, big situation. Having a situation. Whether it was Alan Grayson or Randall, Senator uh, Randolph Bracey that sent this out, because it was clearly one of those two cases. Oh, it's, to me, it's like, I'm telling you, it has Alan Grayson written all over it. Uh, basically implying that Maxwell uh, sexually harasses his staffers. And th this is like... He spent time with his staffers. Again, when you Not do when, when you do stuff like that, uh, it just goes to show that you don't have a leg to stand on. It's one of those things where you don't deserve to be an elected representative because. If the whole concept is to just say, well, this person really sucks. I'm not that good, but you really don't want that. <laughs> you realize one. we have a White House that's that. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Come on, man. Well, we're so, seeing that up here in Long Island, the Senate District 7. You know, Jeremy Joseph's running there against Anna Kaplan. And her campaign doesn't have anything on him, so they're just spreading rumors and, you know, basically being very ignorant about something or, or they're lying uh, about him. What? And, okay, what? Uh, come on. What you know, just, it's it's disgusting. And, you, and you're right. If they don't have anything, what do they do? They start throwing around mud and, you know, and, and, and attacks that just have no standing. And unfortunately, there's going to be some people who are going to be like, oh, well, I, I trust that source. And they're going, to, they're going to believe it, you know. And so, you know, fighting against it is just, again, going back to the doors, proving them wrong, yeah. you know, getting the message out there. And then, you know, you really have to ask yourself, this person who's an elected official is willing to, to put that forward, uh, you know, if they're an incumbent, then, you know, what, what else are they lying about? What else have they said to, to their constituents that's not true? And, you know, and that's what we have to deal with. And Jeremy's running against a Democrat. And, and by the way, who is being supported by James Dolan? So if you don't know who James Dolan is. 
Oh, I know who Mr. You know Cohen who everyone is. is. Very, Most people don't. Very well. Yeah, that son of a bitch has been cheating taxes for I don't know thirty years. Who is that? He is the Tim billionaire. He is the, no, no. He is the nepotistic beneficiary, billionaire owner of Madison Square Garden. So he has. Uh, he had daddy's money. Don't they, him, don't they not no, have to pay taxes for that? No, no. There's a certain little clause. That I think they, it's going to run uh, out, though, right? Like, there's something about that. They'll figure out a way uh, around it. But uh, it's hundreds of millions in, of dollars in taxes that Jim Dolan has avoided. And he's a terrible musician, as I might like to point out. I know he's going to keep playing until he thinks he catches somebody's attention. You know what? Some people just don't have anything better to do with their time. They just have so much money and resources. Like, I'm going to form a band. So I've heard. Well, he's got a pack called the Coalition to Restore New York. (laughs) It's an ultra-conservative pack. And what he's doing right now is he's spending money on Democrats to support them who have progressive challengers. He's doing an assembly in the Senate. I don't know if he's done anything congressionally. And, you know, it just shows you if they're willing, you know, if conservatives, uh, uh, you know, someone like James Dolan is willing to spend that type of money. And we're not talking about $20,000. I'm talking about over $200,000 in mailers and visual um, This is for a state house race, by the way. Yeah. Well, well you know, people don't realize that the state yeah. house is really important. Those races, you know, they, local races and state races usually define what's going on around you, you know, where the money's going, how the money's going to get used uh, and who's going to get that money. You know, Kathy Hochul gives close to a billion dollars to a billionaire for the Buffalo Stadium. The people in Buffalo are starving. You know, they live in food deserts. That's not helping them. So when you have someone like James Dolan going and spending money on Democrats, that you really have to ask, well, are they Democrats? What is it that he likes about them? Right? Because unfortunately, the Democratic Party is not much different than the Republican Party. Right. We do not have a labor party. We do not have a labor party in the United States. What we do have are some really good grassroots groups. And listen, I am not a fan of the overall Working Families Party, but I am a big fan of the Working Families Party of New York. I think you guys got that thing down pretty damn solid and you you back the right candidates. Uh, amazing grassroots efforts. Um, OK, you guys right here represent three progressive organizations that are on Long Island alone. We don't have three progressive organizations in our state. Yeah, really? we're, we're probably not. Uh, OK, I would say we're that. we're in a bad way. Well, Florida, but, but we're up against very, very big money. And, I, you know, the. Really, everybody needs to talk more honestly as we go forward about the money. It's, you know, it's it's less a question of who's a Democrat, who's a conservative Democrat, who's a Republican. It's the moneyed interests who want to make sure that progressives who threaten them don't get elected. And they, they want to make sure that there isn't another AOC or another Jamal Bowman or another Cory Bush. And they are throwing everything they possibly can at progressives. And I think that as progressives, we need to think about this and think about having a better, better solidarity among candidates, um, really having an agreement about among candidates that if some, if somebody is leading in a place like CD 10, the other people drop out at a certain point. 
Um, and we and we're going to have to bring a better game to these campaigns. I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot. There is just seemingly limitless money that is pouring into these campaigns to defeat progressives. And everybody is going to have to have the kind of amazing ground game that Eulene does, that Melanie does, um, because no, we can't win in any other way. Right. Well, where we win is on the ground, because like you were saying, like, the, those campaigns, they have money to pay people to go do lit drops and they have money to do all of that mailing and all of those commercials, but they do not have people that are really out there speaking for them to regular people because it really requires someone to believe in what you're doing to be a really good surrogate. You can't like, yeah, you can pay canvassers. They're never going to be as good as volunteers that are in it because they care about the candidate ever. And they're never going to represent that way. And one contact with a volunteer who really supports is way more meaningful than 10 mailers in your mailbox. So the ground game is key. And I, I, I think that that's where we win. You know what? As far as I'm concerned, the GOP does it and the corporate Democrats do it. You should have non-corporate progressives applying for jobs with these corporate Democrats and basically seizing their operation on the ground and making it ineffectual. I don't care if people call it electoral sabotage. You call it whatever the hell you want. That is not You're illegal. saying we should infiltrate their organization. Hell yes. Why not? Well, OK, you have to find people that are willing to stomach working with those. People. Uh, there were people who did it on Michael Bloomberg's presidential campaign. I know that. So, look, at the end of the day, we are trying to save we are trying to save the world from ourselves is basically what we're trying to do. And that is not an easy task. And, you know, right now, something as simple as, you know, Melanie is thankfully in a situation where she doesn't have, you know, let's say like a progressive that's or progressive that's dragging votes away and is trying to bring her down. But Eulene certainly does. And it's not just Carolina, Carolina Rivera, although she's clearly not really a progressive. And if you're taking 500,000 in super PAC money, yeah, get, jig is up. That ain't progressive. And the fact that Mondaire is still running in the race and he's polling about eight points behind Eulene, it's like at this point you have to say, what are you trying to do? Well, it's not being a team player and it's really about ego at that point. And that's where what we're talking about. Like when, when it's about you, then you've lost your focus. Like that's not what we're doing here. So whoever has the best chance, like I cannot tell you how many times I've said to him, I really wish there was someone else that wanted to do this what I'm doing. I really do. I really wish that there was a candidate out there that really would, I would love there to be somebody infinitely better at doing this. And that's what we need people to recognize. It's about the mission. Um, and a lot of these people, it's about their ego and their career. And it's very unfortunate. And they lose a lot of credibility with me when people do that kind of crap. Believe me, when you have such a limited bench, especially in Florida, it's not that surprising when there's on social media, there's constant tags for both Nikki and Charlie Chris to say, hey, why don't you pick Jen to be lieutenant governor? Well, I mean, you're really, you're not, you should be flattered. But, you know, the fact that no. that's kind of where we're at is it's a sad state of affairs. But you have to remain optimistic because, as I've often said, you know, the political odyssey, the awakening for many people was in 2015, 2016, especially with Bernie. And at the time, many people were wet behind the ears. They don't really know how any of this stuff is done. But now you have a lot of seasoned veterans that have been in this for a while. And they have a much better understanding of how this has to be done. And building up those grassroots groups, it takes time to do that. It takes a, you know, it takes a strong stomach as well and a lack of ego. But 
I do think we're on the right path. This is a question of whether or not we're going to break through. As you like to point out, you know, APAC in particular uh, is on a mission to stop any additional AOCs, if you will, I, from breaking through. because they or, know- or, or anybody who will criticize Israel on any level. And and they they in particular are a real threat to democracy, in my view. I mean, they they are really- the fellow tribesmen, don't you find it ridiculous with these people? Absolutely. I- uh, absolutely. I, I, first of all, a, a politician should be able to criticize any foreign government, and all of us should be able to espouse any kind of peaceful political protest we believe in. And this is something I love about Yulene. She came out for BDS, which is considered the third rail in yes, American politics, in a New York district. And she's and she's standing up for the for the right of people to engage in peaceful protest on any subject. It's a remarkably courageous thing to do, to do, and it made me want to support her more, actually. But the thing that APAC and the related entities, there's another group, um, Democratic Majority for Israel, Party for Israel, right? Um, the thing that they're doing is really a threat to democracy. They are pouring millions of dollars into races with progressives, with people who aren't even that progressive, but who just dare to to criticize Israel. And we as we as progressives need to figure out many different prongs of the approach to fight that. Um, I think we as Jews need to figure out many different prongs to fight that. And I'm getting more and more incensed with it. The Andy Levin thing was sort of like the last straw for me. And um, so I'm actually trying to coordinate a Jews against APAC um, forum that I'm going to be doing. I am not going to sit around and wait for them to come at me, which I'm sure they will. So I, I'm just done with this. I'm done the complete conflating Judaism with Zionism. I'm done. It took me 10 years to deprogram myself. I'm more than willing to help others do the same. And we need to we need to do better. And I'm so tired of being on the defensive about this when we are morally correct. I reject that. I will not do that anymore. And I am tired of their bullshit. So if they want to call me a self-loathing Jew or an anti-Semite, they can come for it. Bring it. I am so done. This is ridiculous already. Not when you have 17 kids that have been killed as a result of the latest Gaza bombings. I'm, I'm just, it's, it's just. Well, I mean, what, what is going on in Gaza and the West Bank is horrific. Most Americans don't know about it. Just today, the six Palestinian human rights organizations and civic organizations that the Israeli government called terrorist groups, even though the European Union has said that is not true, they raided and shuttered all of their offices and they're shutting them down. One of these groups is called the Defense of Children, and it specifically defends children whom Israel imprisons and tortures. You know, a lot of Americans don't know this, that there are hundreds of Palestinian children in Israeli prisons who are beaten and tortured. And this group is specifically dedicated to protecting them. And they were shuttered today by the Israeli government. And they, um, they don't get a defense. They go to they go to a, uh, a military court. The children, yes, that's the, right. the Palestinians go to a military court. That's right. Well, they're not. They're not considered equal citizens. This is. No. This is why when we're three arguing fifths about three, fifth, three fifths of a person, I, I won't argue about the use of the word apartheid. You don't like it, change it. I don't know what to tell you, people. You want to count people as lesser? That's what you are. Um, so it, it's really absurd. I'm tired of it, and I'm just. I am taking that on because I've been hiding from it for a really long time. It is not easy being in South Florida and being. <laughs> 
and being not pro-Israel and Jewish well, and challenging Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I, I just don't care. Well, the only I'm part done. of the country that has a bigger Jewish population is where they are, so they certainly would understand. I, it's not I, an easy thing to fight. No, we were brainwashed, right, Catherine? Catherine right? We're, we're brainwashed. Right. I, I, was ta- I was taught when I was a child that Israel was a land without people for a people, for people without a land. Which was- and there were all of these... Palestinians who were there, who nobody ever told me about. Um, I, then, I, then I found out the truth. You know, don't you think? Like, I would like to think, and I don't know this, but I would like to think that my grandparents and my great grandparents, if they were ever given factual information, wouldn't have agreed to a cultural genocide. They weren't given that information, like you said. And I really think that it's incumbent upon us to present facts to people. And we need to start working from the same set of facts. The bottom line is that's a cultural genocide in an apartheid state. And we need to start calling it as such. And it's that simple. And it's just unacceptable. We met somebody actually in Maxwell Frost's campaign office whose grandfather actually is Palestinian, lives over in the West Bank, had his land stolen from him and like however many years ago and has just been living in exile. So these are actually real people. So, you know, I'm just, I'm tired of, of them controlling the narrative. Uh, I'm, I'm a poet and there are a lot of wonderful Palestinian poets and there's a Palestinian poet whose book has just been published by City Lights Press. He lives in Gaza and he had to fight for weeks. He's, he's part of the MFA program at Syracuse University. He had to fight for weeks to get the visa to go over to America to attend his MFA program. He has two small children, and he did a video of them during one of the bombings of Gaza. His little daughter at the time was four, and she kept putting a cloth over her head to protect herself from the bombing because there's there's no place to go. There are no bomb shelters. A lot of children have been killed in Gaza over the over the past ten years, and it's terrible. And people in America don't know about it, which you know is very frustrating. And our friends at the New York Times want to make sure that they never know about it. So, um, well, they're finding out now because um, this is now. I mean, it's just out of control. And I've been affiliated with Jewish Voices for Peace in the past. I, our local person Donna Neville down here is is amazing, and I've always been very supportive of them. And I just recently allowed them to put my name on um, this letter. We have the Duty Free America's family down here. They're extremely pro-Zionist, and there's always sort of like issues down here with this particular family. I cannot remember their name for the life of me. And um, yeah, so I am now like going to openly be on a letter supporting Jewish Voices for Peace on this. And uh, yeah, I... Good luck. I don't care. I'm done now with these people. I can't. It will make it better that you're doing that. Everybody who's brave in the way that Eulene is being brave, in the way that both of us are being brave right now, everybody who is brave, and, you know, we're not being bombed or dragged off to prison, okay? It's it's just putting your name on something. It's being on, on a video. Um, everyone who is brave lays the groundwork for somebody else being Well, I would definitely say that um, under normal circumstances, it would definitely be somewhat of a political death knell. But the district lines have significantly changed here in South Florida. Um, Aventura in particular. We uh, lost we lost this bunch of Jews and have gained some Haitians and Latinos. Yeah. So that's (laughs) demographics are demographics. Cater to your cater to your uh, to your um, yes. uh, to your demographic. But with that said, 
We do, again, have some very important races coming up. Any final thoughts that you guys have? Any other races that you want to plug or mention in terms of the state of where we are right now? Again, remember Monday evening uh, before we go. Well, actually, no, it, it won't conflict with us going live. So 6 to 8 p.m. Yeah. Uh, Monday the 20th. I'll make Peter come and hang out with me in my little Zoom meeting. Mm. Make him make phone calls. He has great phone call voice. He's really good at sales. The world is coming to an end. Long Island is sinking into the Atlantic Ocean. Don't you stop look, it? She looks like a supergirl there. Well, that yeah, she's a supergirl. Yeah, like, <laughs> she's got like that badass. Well, Elect Melanie to re-go to Congress, and Long Island will stay a part of New York City. So, or New York. <laughs> That's uh, well, frankly, that is the truth because. Yeah, climate change is really hitting Long Island in a not so good way. I don't know what wants to talk about it, but you know, much like I, if I were you guys like us, I recommend scuba certification. It's a reality. It's a reality. The South Shore and parts of the North Shore will be underwater if the sea level goes to the foot and a half that they say it's going to go. All these yeah. people—I mean, people live on the shore, just like in Florida. People live on the shore, right? There's going to be whole communities that are be that are be gone. Miami no. is in, Miami's in bad shape. I tell people move to higher ground, people. It's yeah. happening. You, you know, I mean, well, Mel Melanie was one of the founders of the Sunrise Movement in Nassau County, so she's in the forefront of that issue, as yeah. she is on every issue. You know, I just say to people, look at two parts of her website: the endorsement page and the policy page, and you will just be blown away. There's, and there's the same thing there. goes for Jeremy Joseph, who's running for the Senate in the same in the same area. Uh, basically, Senate District Seven overlaps with uh, CD three. And his big push is about environmentalism and climate change. And because his opponent, Anna Kaplan, is really not a supporter of that. I mean, she just, on the bare minimum, says she supports that. And if anything, she yeah. was a supporter yeah. of the Williams Pipeline. Right. 2019, right. she supported the Williams Pipeline. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it, it's about money. It's about money. Gas it's, it's about I know money. why. You know? I know why. It's just crazy. How, she just... I don't support climate crisis. Uh, well, she says I just she, don't. She, she's either very quiet about it. And if you if you try to go and you talk about it, um, she's, she did vote um, in favor of a few things. But that was because it, it was it, it had no teeth. Right. You know, so it, it, it was really just for show. Um, but. You know, Jeremy, he's a he's a physicist. He's you know, he's a mathematician. He goes by the data. He's there for the New York Health Act. He's there for climate, you know, at, you know, funding education. He was part of the Invest Our New York coalition that we did, which was to tax the billionaires and change our uh, regressive tax system in New York. Uh, Melanie was part of that with me as well. And I mean, it, Catherine can attest, you know, we went to Southampton thinking the billionaires would not you want to visit us. <laughs> and they, they were like, yeah, we, th this is logical. We need to do this. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's that race. There's Gustavo Rivera's race. He's got oh, a challenge. Oh, very important. Please, yeah. please talk Robert Jackson, that. he's another, you know. Can you tell us what's going on with Gustavo's state senate race? Because I know that they've. We've uh, had him on a couple times. Yeah, they're trying to knock him out of there right now. Yeah, well, well, there's a lot it. of money going into the race right now from the real estate industry. because he's looking and, to and, change from the Bronx, and from the Bronx political machine. And for, for those of your viewers who don't know, he is the co-sponsor of the New York Health Act. He's one of the most important people in the New York State legislature. Uh, well, of course they want to get him out because, you know, why would you ever want progress in New York? Uh, it's, it, like, again, and it's so many people are just asleep at the wheel. That's 
But it's, but again, you know, like you always say, it's like you got a thousand and one things to worry about every day. You know, politics just seems to always take a back seat. For yeah, because so people, people are trying to live. You, and you have to work three jobs to survive. You don't have the time to worry about this. And that's what they're counting on. That's why we're in this position. They want uneducated and overly desperate people that don't have time to participate in the process. And hyper uh, hyper uh, individualism, right? Yeah. It's it's a, it's a tactic that bosses uses to break a union, keep people separate, don't organize, don't come together. And I mean, there's a there's a um, someone I follow who's a disability advocate, crutches and spice, and she's uh, she's awesome. And she's she said it the other day, uh, our hyper individualism has killed millions and millions of people. Because in the part of, yeah, we, we need to hold our electeds accountable, but ourselves, if we were to come together, and Catherine mentioned this earlier, just the progressives coming together, but if we were, if the working class themselves came together and said, we need X, Y, and Z, we need jobs, housing, we need, you know, healthcare. access to healthcare, and we made these demands and we said, nothing's going to happen until you do this. You know, I mean, you can go the general strike route, whatever, you know, we need to make those pushes. We need to make those demands and we need to hold these people accountable. If that means priming every last Democrat that's in there, then primer every last Democrat. And if the Republican Party needs to blow up as it is, let it blow up. I can't stand people who are saying, hey, let's support Liz Cheney. What the F? Joe, that's 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 all about that's a it's a class war. That's all this is. They look at Liz Cheney. They don't give a damn that her politics are super conservative. What they care about is that Liz Cheney likes the status quo. She likes the establishment. And that's what people care about. And that's why comfortable liberals like the biggest shitbag in them all, Deborah Messing in New York City, likes to always point out how much she hates Bernie Sanders, but will always, always find kind words for the super conservative GOPers who hate Donald Trump. Right. Like and, and everything is <laughs> that's the barometer. Here. As long as you hate Donald Trump, you're mm-hmm. all right. But the reality is there is a hell of a lot of crossover between Bernie Sanders supporters and Donald Trump supporters. And it has nothing to do with whether or not they're racist, bigoted or any of that BS that they use to define everybody. I have been to a Trump rally, as has Jen, where there were 25,000 people there. And I can assure you that the amount of people that are psycho crazy, like the ones that are in certain parts of Long Island, they're about 5% of the population, maybe 10 if you really want to push it. They do not make up anywhere near. They are a minority of people, but they want you to believe that you, you're you're Suffolk. Catherine, you're in Suffolk County. I mean, again, they want you to believe that every Trump supporter is crazy. And Suffolk County is Trump country. And I can assure you that most people are perfectly normal. They may have difference of opinion on politics, but a su- significant amount of Trump and Bernie supporters it's all about class war. It's all about. I can tell you, I, I worked very. I was the volunteer coordinator for Bernie in Suffolk County in in uh, 2020, and I was the uh, one of the volunteer coordinators for him in 2016. And I canvassed more doors than I could possibly recount, and spoke to more people than I could possibly recount. And I cannot tell you how many Republicans and Independents told me that they wanted to vote for Bernie. 
I yeah. mean, I passionately wanted to vote for Bernie. It was part of our problem. We couldn't get the Democratic voters to be as enthusiastic about him as we as we needed to. But there were a lot of people who couldn't vote in the Democratic primary who wanted to vote for him in the in the general election. And people don't understand this. You know, there are people who understand that neither political party is working for them. They understand that it's a class thing. They understand that it's about money. And they want somebody who's going to fight for them. And and Bernie is that kind of candidate. But Melanie DeRico is that kind of candidate. Yeah. 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 And that's why, you know, again, uh, it is a class war. And everyone who thinks that you know, again, it's so easy to cast aspersions about Trump supporters. And yeah, there's always going to be outliers. But overall, uh, they believe in the economic populist message. They believe in America first, not as America and everybody else sucks. It's that we have no labor laws in this country right. anymore. We export everything. The policies that were passed under Clinton, particularly NAFTA, normal trade relations with China, is the reason why you have so many ghost towns and yeah. you know, people uh, who are in desperate straits. Uh, a good friend of ours who's based in, you know, the New York, New Jersey area, Jordan Chariton of Status Coup, you know, he goes around all these places all the time and shows constant footage of Pennsylvania, West Virginia. The Ohio. housing crisis, the yeah. labor crisis, like it's just. No, no, no clean drinking water. And everyone thinks, oh yeah, it's all Trump yeah. and the deplorables. No, people are. Just They're not spending the money. They're not spending on the money on what we need. And I, I'm involved with a coalition called the National Infrastructure Bank Coalition. And this, we've had an a infrastructure bank previously. FDR had one. Lincoln had one. Hamilton started. And it would, it, it would basically invest all the money we need. In, and it's about infrastructure. It's about replacing all those pipes. It's about the roads, getting high-speed rail. It's about housing. New Mexico doesn't have any more water. Yeah. That sink in. New Mexico doesn't have any more water. They've got to truck it in. Okay. That's insane. We know like the lead in the pipes and who sat, who's get sacrificed, the working class, the poor, you know, again, there's like you said, this is class warfare and it's, they're benefiting, benefiting from our suffering. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. And so until we get real investment, you know, we're, we're, it's just going to keep getting worse. I mean, inflation is going up. We're getting squeezed. No one's wages are going up because they're no, not. Really, no, come on you know? now. I thought we just passed the greatest inflation reduction bill in the history yeah, of mankind. Yeah, I've seen a couple of years how that goes. Uh, you know, if we if we don't, you know, we can't wait on these people. That's, no. that's what it is. We can't wait on these people. No. We, we can get behind Melanie and we need our allies. That's why Melanie is important. You know, it's people who get elected who are our allies who are going to be there to help us pass the legislation that we need. Like the National Infrastructure Bank isn't just going to appear out of nowhere. You've got to pass that. And it's not going to rely on Congress to be funded. So Congress passes their, you know, passes whatever they're going to pass to send out money to states. New York is getting one tenth of what it needs from Congress and the taxes that are coming back for any kind of support. One-tenth. We can't do shit with that. 
And we're also stuck in a vicious cycle because government and politicians do so little for people. They have come increasingly to believe, you know, since the Reagan era, that that error (laughs) era, um, that that government can't do anything for them, that politicians won't do anything for them. And it becomes a vicious cycle. So then they sort of opt out of politics and they say that they, they, they're not going to try anymore. And I think that that's, I mean, Joe and I have talked about this a lot. This is one of the things that we're trying to fight here on Long Island. Mm-hmm. We have to make people believe that it's worth the effort, that it's worth the time commitment. It's worth going out to vote for somebody because that person will fight for you. I think that you hit the nail on the head, and that is the perfect place for us to conclude this conversation. They are counting on us to give up. That's what they want. They are counting on us to give up. Do you really think these, I mean, listen, I know they got a lot of money to spend, but do you really think they want to be spending four or five million dollars on each congressional race to hold off the incoming insurgency? I don't think so. It's like whack-a-mole. And the more we do, it's like, yeah, they'll do it. And mostly they'll get away with it. But all you need is every so often you get somebody through, you get somebody through. And that's what I feel like we're doing. The only part, I mean, listen, I think AOC does a fantastic job um, in certain aspects of what she does in New York. I don't think she does squat in D.C. Now, is that because she's ambitious? Yeah, I'm sure it's a big part of it. Uh, but there's no denying that her political victory really changed the landscape in terms of the mindset in New York. And that is something that has to be duplicated in a lot of other places. And there is also something to be said for people understanding that not everyone is cut out to run for Congress. There are people who are also much, much needed to run for city council, county commission, to run for the state house, school state board. senate, school, school board. board. Please run for school board. We have, a great, we have, we have two really solid, uh, three really solid uh, school board candidates running. Uh, four, if, well, no, that's commission. Uh, three really solid uh, school board candidates running here in Broward County, Ruth Carter Lynch, Steve Julian, and of course, Raymond Adderley, who we think the world of and are hopeful that he uh, will be able to win. And, you know, those are the races that matter. And the reason the GOP is so successful is because they are very militaristic in their approach. Everything is bottom up. In the Democratic Party, it is often top down. Have to change that philosophy. It's always always top down. The president is the only thing that matters, right, to them. So. And they ignore all local politics. Nassau County registration for Democrat to Republican is like two to one. All right. You could win hands down here easily if you were able to motivate your Democratic voters to come out. But what happens? We lost the entire county. All right. And the chair of the Democratic Party for Nassau County is Jay Jacobs. And he's the chair of the state Democratic Party. He sucks. So I'm not going to argue. Party's a Republican. And the reason that person is in power is Debbie Wasserman Schultz. <laughs> and Michael and she, and she sucks much worse. Michael so, Bloomberg bought our state party and yeah. stuck a Republican in charge. And now... I totally believe that. Totally believe that. <laughs> and, and you're going to continue to see these things unfold. But again, lack of, lack of engagement, lack of understanding how to lead. It is very difficult in Florida. Thankfully, in New York, there is this sort of, we're not going to take it anymore, even though they're, you know, this is no different than what's happening in the labor movement. You're seeing it constantly. 
you know, there's Starbucks, been some, Starbucks you know, Union. Starbucks I was just at a Walmart. Example, there's been some amazing you know? victories, but you think Howard Schultz is going to sit back and take this? There is no real labor laws in this country. They're going to union bust them into oblivion if they can get away with it, which is why if there is somebody who is going to run for president as a non-corporate progressive in 2024, it better have a slate top to bottom. It cannot be one person running as president at the top. I truly believe yeah. the only way you can succeed is if you bring along all the people that are non-corporate, that are running at the lowest of levels, all the way to the top. You build it that way, then we might have a chance of doing it. I thought that was Bernie's biggest miss in terms of how he did it. If it's done again, it's got to include a grassroots uprising and everyone has to be included in the moment. But the resurgent labor movement is the great shining light of our time here. Yes. It, is, it, it really can give us hope about what can happen. And these are people who are, you know, really threatened, don't have much power and they're taking the power. So it's a model for everybody else who is trying to fight for a better community. Um, and I, you know, I have to say that I love Bernie and I have to say that um, I just finished reading the book that was written by his uh, assistant campaign manager. About yeah. yeah. Um, and, and he says that every time they, they heard of a strike somewhere or a labor action, they threw everything else away and they went to that labor action. Mm -hmm. and, and labor actions should be at the forefront of every politician's campaign. Yes. That is, that is the strength of our movement is right there. And it's true for Melanie. I mean, she was just at a labor action, wasn't she? Like she yesterday? was working at the Starbucks rally yeah. for a young woman who was fired. She was the leader uh, trying to unionize the great next Starbucks. And uh, they lost, they, they had everybody on board. The vote was going to go through. They had everybody on board. They brought in the union busters and then it didn't pass. They lost by one. And, uh, and then they fired her. You know, no, you know, no good reason they fired her. And that's something you keep hearing through all these Starbucks. That or they're closing the store. Just, you know, Starbucks can close the store. We don't, we're not making enough money here. Whatever excuse they want to give. And they'll close the store and everybody gets kicked out and they'll go somewhere else down the block and they'll, they'll open another store. So, but it is, as Catherine said, a shining light because here are individual stores and there's about maybe a dozen, two dozen people that work in that store and they're deciding we've had enough. We want, we want better. And, you know, being in a union, being part of a union, even if you're not in a union, the solidarity that the effect of a union has within a community, because that's what it's about. It's the members of your community that, that are working in these places. They're coming they're, they're making their lives better. And that makes your community better. You know, it's this idea that we're all separate. Again, this individualism, it's not true. It's a, it's a lie, right? We've got to come together because what happens to my neighbor is going to happen to me. Like, so if, if we start having that mentality, this, this perspective that we're all in it together, you know, that's when we're going to start moving these mountains. That's when we're going to, we're going to make the huge changes. I'm tired of waiting for somebody to show up and there's no Messiah. <laughs> That's coming to save us. Well, okay. well, I, well, I technically was a messiah probably 40 years ago, and I oh. told the American oh. people something very important. The worst thing that you could ever hear is, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. And unfortunately, uh. that mindset is something that took shape in tens of millions of people's minds. Reagan was an, Reagan was an incredible politician. And 
you know, you look back on it now and you realize we're still, it, it's not just that we're suffering from him. It's the fact that Bill Clinton wanted to be Ronald Reagan and he became Ronald Reagan and he got through the policies that the GOP could have only dreamed about. So we are where we are today in many ways because of those two men who occupied the White House. And when you think about how it led to Citizens United and why we're here where we are today, it is going to be, could be a 40-year battle. It could be a very long time. Uh, but like Chris Hedges likes to say, I don't fight fascists because I think I'll win. I fight fascists because they're fascists. We are fighting an uphill battle, not because we oh, yeah. think we can win, but because, God damn it, somebody's got to do it. That's the bottom line. As your hero, Mariska Haggerty, as Olivia Benson likes to say, why do you do this? Because somebody, somebody has, has to, to do it. it. And we are in this well, fight. And, and well, we are well, in Bernie Sanders fight. also says despair is not an option. And it's not no. an option. No. With, the, with, the, with, with climate catastrophe, with, with the crisis of democracy, with the, the crisis in everybody's lives, despair is not an option. We have to keep fighting. We have to fight harder. Yeah. Well, we're very grateful for the way that you guys fight. You do a fantastic job. We only wish we could have such a wonderful movement here in South Florida, but we're building our own, so we'll see what happens. In the meantime... Bob Wanaspina, Catherine Ravy, and Joe Sackman, thank you so much for coming on this evening. Thank you. And obviously, best of luck for the next five days. We will see you on Monday evening. I'm phone banking on Monday. You live in the tri-state area. Come to New York. We send the people to Pennsylvania all the time. Get on a bus. Come to City <laughs> 3. Canvas. Sign up. Get your ass over here. Yeah. You, you, you talked about the Clintons. Zimmerman's deeply connected with oh, the Clintons, I, I, okay? I really, I so really we don't need that. another Clintonite in Congress, no, all right? We don't, the only place we need Clintons is in prison. Uh, listen, uh, <laughs> I, you want to know why? You want to know why we're never going to prison? I'll tell you why we're never going to prison. Because yeah. we passed the 94 crime bill and we made the police as powerful as they ever been. We are the police. Yeah, we know. Yeah. That's why it'll never happen. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. Have a great night. Bye. Bye-bye. So I have to say something to TM, who has been in the in the chat. I have two words yeah. for you, TM. Two words. Shirtless, severide. I don't know what that means. You don't need to know. Okay. She'll know. All right. Well, anyway, uh, very productive conversations this evening. Uh, what more can we say about Robert John Burke? Absolutely oh, fantastic. He was just, guest. he's adorable. Well, yeah. Very cute, I must say. And I, I was very pleasant. Look, again, I'm telling you, I don't generally like to meet people when I really like their characters. You know? Character actors are easier to meet than stars. It doesn't matter either way to me. If you're playing a, a character, like John Hamm, Don Draper, it's the same concept, right? Like, sure. John Hamm's a good looking guy. I like him. He's okay. He's kind of funny. He can laugh at himself. He's very funny in the progressive commercials. He's cute and all. He's no Don Draper. But like, if, if he had opened his mouth and completely undermined how sexy Don Draper was, that would ruin the whole thing. This is why I never really want to meet the people from my stories. But I will say Bob was very nice. That he, yes. he, he's, you know, he might not be Ed Tucker, but he's definitely his own cutie patootie. Well, he's got that really, like, again, he's got that really rugged Irish working class disposition about him. Like, he never... See? He, he doesn't... Yeah, it, uh... 
she's and she knows. Yeah, like he never he never lost that aspect, and I think that that's what makes him really endearing in many ways. Um, yeah, I would agree. Um, and he's very and he's and he's a real guy. Like a lot of actors lack personality. Like they really do. They no, have, he's somebody we would just go hang out with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dean Winters was the same way. Maybe that's what they look for when they cast people on SVU. Maybe well, it really is just a different type of. I atmosphere. do think. Well, I do think she runs a tight ship in terms of what she includes, what she surrounds herself with. She is very much runs that, and I think there's a reason that they do it with professionalism and integrity that they do. It, it does start from the top. That's what he's saying, and yeah. she runs that. No, Mariska's no joke. I mean, she's very, very. And I think, yeah. And I think that obviously she has done well enough with it that she gets to call shots and she gets to create an environment. Hey, that you is know what? I, I still remember when Maloney left and there was talk that Haggerty was going to leave shortly thereafter. My guess is, is the reason she stayed is because she got a significant amount of creative control going forward. She do- well, Because I got to yeah. tell you, you want to know when SVU was at its lowest point? Basically in the last... One to two years that Maloney was on the show, and then the shortly thereafter, um, when Kelly Giddish uh, joined, we could sit here and SVU geek out all night. Like, but I'm saying that there was like a point where the show was not very strong, but then it picked itself up again. Well, and it had to do a lot with Bob, like yeah. that 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 transition between like the old and the new was really done well by the characters yeah. that are mainstays that aren't everyday characters. Like him, like oh, that's, that was, yeah. No, I definitely agree. I was so sad that he died. Well, again, maybe you get him on Chicago. Well, he's not going to move to Chicago, so I, I wouldn't see. He's a New York no, actor. If there, yeah, yeah, no, you can't merge to, uh, although the Chicago Fire world and the SVU world are the same. They, the Dick Wolf universe, it's like Marvel and DC. So like the Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, those characters exist in the same world as Benson Stabler and Tucker. So... There is definitely a crossover between Tucker and Severide. See, TM, now there's a sandwich right there. Mm. Now, if we are lucky enough, maybe Mr. Burke will become a Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash generational change. If you guys are so inclined to be here this evening, please go and sign up, which would be wonderful. And don't forget, we are helping transform politics. We are transforming politics into service. Yeah. And what's very important about that is understanding that we have some great organizations like the Long Island Activists, who were on this evening, that were doing a really great job of bringing along the non-corporate candidates in the New York metropolitan area, which is something we desperately I will forever, ever, ever be loyal to the Long Island activists. Mm-hmm. They were very loyal. Robert, Robert Buonasvino was one of the first people to reach out and how can I help your campaign? And I mean, like, <clears throat> we hadn't even launched. <laughs> like, it was really early on. So... Yeah, I will always out. help the Long Island activists. If your preference is Cash App, Cash it's App, nice. dollar sign, Gen Change. All the money that we that we get goes to our organization. It's called GenCorp, and it's nonprofit, and it's not a 501c3. You don't get a tax deduction because we do endorse candidates, and we do donate to non-corporate candidates, so we can't be a C3. So, But all of the money that we get goes towards community service, and sponsoring non-corporate candidates and non-partisan candidates. We just donated to Allison Miller. She's running for state attorney um, in Pasco, Pinellas County. So, you know, we it just depends. It depends. I really, there's certain people that I don't just want to platform that I want to support. Um, we will platform any non-corporate candidate, Democrat or Republican. Um, 
and preferably nonpartisan. Yes. <laughs> preferably nonpartisan, but we'll platform anyone who's non-corporate and our money goes towards service. We are going to have, uh, depending on whether Jen wants to or not, if we do a 12 o'clock show, I got confirmation, on Monday, uh, congressional candidate Maxwell Frost will join us. I'm definitely not um, about Maxwell Frost. I'm about doing it at 12 noon, but I definitely do want to talk to Maxwell It is Frost. the day before election day, so it probably does make sense for us to do a 12 o'clock because in the evening people are going to be very busy with phone banks, canvassing. We want to try to get some local candidates if we can. Uh, but obviously, Maxwell is the one bright star. I mean, obviously, we're huge supporters. Can I create a graphic of Alan Grayson merged with Shrek? No. Okay. You can't do that. Okay. Uh, Sheila Scherfless McCormick obviously has our full really support. But Maxwell really has something cooking up there in Orlando. Um, we would very much like to see him get over the finish line. Um, we're going to be out at the polls, you told me. Yes, we will. We're going to be at the polls. Um, Peter likes to do Peter likes to do um, poll hopping. No, I think it's very important that we help out. Uh, you are you you are too much love. You really are. You're so are. awesome. DM. Uh, Is Jack that really you in the picture? Because you're really, really cute. I'm just saying. And I and I don't know, like that could be catfishy. OK, um, well, it, if uh TM, if you would like, um, we have some uh, Gen Change shirts. Yeah, 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 for you sure. Want to send her one of them? I'd be very happy to send you one. If you, if, I wish you. Well, you don't. You definitely don't need to be a patron. I appreciate all help, but yeah, I will most certainly send you a jersey. Yeah, send uh, send a private message if you can, um, and let us know. Give um, us your address. Yes. And give us your shirt size, and I will send you a jersey. So yeah, I think uh, so. Again, Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash generational change. Yeah. If you can support, fantastic. Or if you can go to Cash App, Gen Change, dollar sign Gen Change. It's all great. good. Yes. It's all good. It all helps. Yes. You know. So we'll see who else we can get. Obviously, Kim Iverson is going to be coming on in 10 days. I'm sure we'll get a bunch of haters in the comments, which I'm I won't sure appreciate. And don't be mean about guests. I hate that. Mm. Uh, we, uh, Osiris from Stuck in the Middle, yeah. uh, would like us to come on his podcast. <gasps> I like Osiris. So I think we should definitely look to set that up. You know what? Maybe, um, I think he, I don't know if he does it in the afternoon. I don't know when he that streams. Might make I don't sense. usually see him live. Like I usually watch his stuff post. Yeah. Like so I think we'll have an opportunity to do that. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, we will make sure that we have another guest as well. Uh, for Monday. And yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, obviously it's a number of important elections coming up. We do want to help out with some of our local non-corporate candidates. And it's just good, you know, to be involved because the truth of the matter is there's so many candidates. You know, one of the things that I always found so endearing um, when we ran in 20 was how so many people from other campaigns, even people who supported Wasserman Schultz, would come up to us mm -hmm. and tell us, you really have an amazing team. Our, I never felt prouder than when we would get like, and especially when it was older people that would come up to me and just say how impressed they were with our volunteers. Cause they were all kids. I mean, high school, college kids. And they were just, they were really great kids. And I felt that way. Like I was very happy with who was out representing us. And it was always nice when people would recognize that because yeah. like, that Debbie matters. doesn't really have volunteers. No. She has paid people that she pays to sit at the polls and just hand out, you know, her flyers. 
And so it's not like there's really anybody with personality there doing it. And I love that our volunteers were so appreciated at the polling locations. Yeah, listen, you can win over a lot of hearts and minds by having a team that's all about positivity and trying to do the right thing instead of going around telling people how much the other people suck. So with that said, we hope you enjoyed. Make sure to like, subscribe, share, comment, maybe even donate. We'll see you Monday. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.